If uh, the, the aliens like manufactured you to be uh, a nah. mixed martial arts fighter, they're like, let's see if we could just turn. This I'm sure. Into I would, a bad it, I'm sure if it would have happened, I would have been much better than than, than this. Much know? better than this. You're the fucking champion. What are yeah, you talking but about? if I would be alien manufacturer, I would be a <laughs> Superman. You know. Yeah. It's fifty, aka Ferrari F fifty. Break it down. I got a lot of living to do before I die, and I ain't got time to waste. What is up, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious beings tuning into the podcast? I welcome you to the 50th episode of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. Shout out to 50 Cent on the special introduction to this episode. Me and Curtis Jackson go way back. We grew up together. And to analyze and predict the UFC card going down in Prague, Czech Republic, I have with me one of my favorite guests on the program in the history of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. That man goes by Sri Ram. Say what's up, my man. I'm good. I'm flattered that you called me all that and to yeah. have the the MMA, the MMA knowledge community. That's what I came up with on the fly. Um, but you know, you know, uh, you know your shit. You're a writer for a few websites. You uh, track track your picks on Bet MMA Tips, and I've had you on the program a bunch of times before. Always love having you. I know that you'll know the fight card top to bottom every time. So uh, that's what we're going to be bringing at you this week for the UFC. On ESPN Plus 3, uh, going down in Prague, Czech Republic, headlined by Jan Blachowicz versus Thiago Santos. Uh, what are you thinking about the card, just looking at it from top to bottom uh, at first glance, Jerome? I mean, it's weird that they have the real main event as the second fight on the main card. But other than that, I mean, it's a relatively weak card. It always is when Jean Vellante makes the main card for some reason. And Stefan Struve is co-main event in 2019. But, you know, it is what it is. They can't all be winners. And we have a great one next week or the week after this one. So, Yeah, I, good points about the organization of the card. John Vellante on the main card is a recipe for disaster every time. You know, we got Liz Carmouche uh, on there, been around the game for a few dozen years. And Stefan Struve, like he mentioned, just it's unfathomable that this guy is in a main event or a co-main event uh, in 2019. I feel like they just, you know, it's, it's a good card. It's got good matchups. I feel like they just mixed up the the, the matchmaking a little bit. You got Michel Pizarris on a, a seven or eight fight win streak. He's the third fight on the card. Like, when the hell are you going to start giving this guy an opportunity to, to break into the top ten or, you know, Know, I mean, he's. I don't even know if he's ranked right now on a seven or eight fight win streak. So, um, you know, a little bit questionable decisions there. But we got a lot of a lot of talented fighters on the card. A few good matchups, and uh, we're gonna start breaking them down for you right now. So the first fight we got in the lightweight division, we have Damir Ismagulov taking on Joel Alvarez, who is fifteen and one. Ismagulov is seventeen and one. And uh, looking over at the opening betting lines for this one, we have Ismagulov opening minus 110, Alvarez minus 110. I don't know if that's a line error or what, but right now we have Ismagulov minus 250, Alvarez plus 210. You know, that's just, that's shocking. That's it, shocking. Does that make sense to you, Shrugo? Uh I mean, not really, but I've always seen uh, debutants kind of get overhyped just because... Like, I know Alvarez, he has something crazy, like 14 subs out of 15 victories. 
And Ismagulov, he looked decent against, I believe it was Gorgies on the Adelaide card. But, I mean, it's a nothing fight. I don't really care about either, either of them too much. So the odds, um, they could be anything. It could be minus 1,000 Alvarez, and I just wouldn't know what to say. Yeah, um, you know, you said he looked decent against uh, Gorgies. That's right. I mean, Gorgies is a guy who doesn't really deserve to be on the roster, I'd say. And, you know, Ismagulov went in that fight, you know, took him down, controlled him on the ground, but just showed no intensity, no will to finish, no aggression against a guy who, like I said, doesn't deserve to be in there. You know, you, you need to go in there and make a statement on your debut proving that you can, you know, finish fights. But he just really took it easy in that fight, got an easy decision win. And, uh, you know, I hope he doesn't do that here because he's this Alvarez guy, you know, doesn't have much footage on the internet. Uh, you know, it, this is his debut fight, like you mentioned. Uh, he's got great submissions from what it seems. He's uh, Most of his wins come by submission. He's very comfortable on his back. So Ismogilov is not going to be able to sit in his guard like he did with Gorgis, who has no ground game uh, for this whole fight. So Ismogilov looked for him to mix things up on the feet. I think he will be the better striker in this fight. He seemed to have pretty good boxing from his fights back Back in M1, so I don't think he'll implement the same strategy as the Gorgis fight. Um, uh, but I think that he will keep this fight standing, stuff Alvarez's shots, and win this fight uh, via decision on the feet. So the pick is going to be Ismagulov to get the decision win. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think there'll be a big because generally regional sub artists they don't uh, tend to get sub artists on the main roster. If you look at guys like Tyson Pedro, for example, he was like a very prolific sub artist on the region. The UFC and has one sub over Stopperbeck Safarov. So it's not common that sub artists tend to be actually good grapplers at the UFC level. So I could see Ismagulov just taking him down, sitting in his guard, playing bottom is generally viable in um, in mixed martial arts because of, you know, strikes. So, I mean, this fight could go any way and I wouldn't be particularly surprised because I have no expectations of either of them. Yeah, that's a good point. A lot of guys come in here with a lot of subs on the record. Um, some guys, Suman Makatarian, Jonathan Martinez, and recently, um, homeboy who got starched on the pre- uh, Callum Potter. You know, three guys, <laughs> three guys who had a lot of sub records on their, uh, a lot of subs on their regional records, and they were expected to maybe come in there and face a guy who didn't have good takedown defense or didn't have good sub defense, and then they just really couldn't uh, get that uh, their sub game going. So that's a great point. The sub level at the regional level always doesn't translate. So, I mean, especially when you have guys like Mokhtarian who are winning fights by like baseball bad choke, it's just it's pure meme shit. It's yeah. not gonna. That guy, yeah, he had a very padded record. But um, we're going to move on to the next fight. Also in the lightweight division, we have Rustam Kabilov, who is 23-3, taking on Carlos Diego Ferreira, who is 14-2. The opening betting line for this one was Kabilov as the minus-125 favorite, Ferreira as the plus-105 dog. Now, looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.eu, we see Kabilov minus-145, Diego Ferreira plus-125. So a little more action coming in on Kabilov. Uh, I agree with this line movement. Um, despite Kabilov looking pretty underwhelming in his last fight, RUB losing that fight to Cajun Johnson, uh, I just don't think that um, Ferreira's ground game is going to be good enough to deal with Kabilov in this fight. Kabilov is just a relentless wrestler who will just chase that takedown the whole 15 minutes if he doesn't get it. He's good at closing distance. He, his striking is not very good, but um, you know he doesn't fool around at striking range too long. He knows what he's good at, and that's wrestling, grinding fights out against the cage. 
and that's what he's going to try to do in this fight. Uh, he's taking on uh, uh, Carlos Diego Ferreira, who is, you know, he's a he's a good fighter. He's got uh, you know some power striking. He likes getting in brawls, but he fights reckless. He fight he's hittable. He doesn't have good defense, and um, you know he's got a he's got a uh, a decent ground game. He can hit takedowns. He can get top position. He can keep top position. We saw that in his last fight against Kyle Nelson. He uh, he dominated that fight. You know he was you know trading a little bit on the feet. He didn't seem too comfortable on the feet, and then took the fight to the floor, got top position, and pounded his opponent out. So he's definitely got a serviceable ground game. But I just think that there's going to be levels to this one in this one, and I think that uh, Kabulov will get the win via decision. Uh, what do you think, Instagram? Uh, my opinion is kind of the opposite of yours, just because I don't think uh, Rustam Kabalov is particularly good. I think his uh, just not a bettable quantity for me because he throws basically no volume throughout the entire fight. He's I, like against Cajun, he got the shit beaten out of him, and he won on like three seconds of top control in between getting guard armbarred and triangled every three seconds. So I don't rate Kabalov uh, particularly highly. I think. Um, I think he's bad, if I were to exaggerate a little bit. And I think Carlos Diego Fajardo is actually quite good. I think his grappling looked very good in uh, the Kyle Nelson fight. He's always been very fun to watch grappling. And yeah, Fajardo got outstruck by Kyle Nelson, but also Kyle Nelson threw strikes. And I think that's more than I can expect from Rustam Habilov over 15 minutes. I don't think Rustam Habilov is going to be able to chase a takedown for 15 minutes because he just doesn't really show any urgency. And I don't think Habilov is going to... Be able to sit in the guard of Fajeda because Fajeda is a legitimately good grappler. So, you know, Fajeda at least has like a great get-up game, and he's you know hard to tap out, hard to control. So, I think the play here is Fajeda at plus one twenty-five, but you know, Pavlov could just get another underwhelming decision. So, it is what. It is. Yeah, I agree with all that too. You know, I think it's definitely dogger pass. I would not trust Kabilov after how average he looked. I think he could drop off at any fight and, you know, really start declining. He is, you know, he got 26 fights. I'm pretty sure he's up there in age. I'm going to say around 36. Um, uh, no, only 32. He looks older than he, uh, but, uh, you know, he's on a six fight win streak. So the dude is, uh, he's can't be, uh, underlooked. So that's going to be a good fight though. Um, Next fight in the welterweight division, we have Michel Prezeris, who is 26-2, taking on Ismail Nardiev, who is 17-2. The betting line for this one opened up Prezeris as the minus 240 favorite, um, Ismaili at plus 205. Looking over at our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.eu, we see Pizarris minus 420, Nardiev at plus 335. So a lot of money coming in on Michel Pizarris. I don't really blame the you know the public for jumping on that uh, that line. Pizarris has just looked you know very impressive in, in his in his win streak, eight fight win streak, beating a really good uh, competition. Um, you know, sometimes he has close fights. That fight was Zach Cumming was a little closer than we expected, but sometimes he goes out there and just blows through his opponent like he did with Bartosz Fabinski in his last fight, just rocked him with an overhand and choked him out uh, with a guillotine. So the dude is explosive. He's hard to take down. He's got great wrestling. He's just a really well-rounded fighter. Um, he, you know, he's he's old, man. He's like 38 years old, but he's he does he's showing very little sign of dropping off. You know, besides his problems with making weight at 155. Um, he hasn't really seen any hiccups in, the, in his, in, you know, the past couple years in the UFC. Um, now that he's at 170, he seems to have that weight problem figured out. 
and he seems to be, you know, really be on a good streak. But his opponent Nardiev is uh, making his UFC debut in this one. Um, he, uh, you know, he's got a great record. He's, uh, I believe, seven, 17 and two. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, I believe, was this the gentleman who was knocked out by that spinning back kick? Uh, no, that wasn't. That was another fighter on this card. But, um, you know, let's see. Nardiev's got. He's got good boxing. He's, you know, he's got some decent kicks. His striking defense is not bad too. He, he seems to, you know, you know, play into uh, uh, his defense, and he knows it's an important aspect of the game that a lot of fighters neglect. But. Um, and but his takedown defense is not good. He is not very good off of his back. Uh, you saw that in his fight against Ismael de, de Jesus. He was taken down in that fight again. Jesus man looked like a, a low level fighter man in that fight. He looked desperate for the takedown. He looked uncomfortable on the feet, but he was able to take Nardiev down. He was able to control him on the ground, and Nardiev looked pretty uncomfortable on the ground. So uh, you know you got to think that's where the Prezeris is going to take this fight, even though he is you know uh, a great fighter on the feet and on the ground, but. I think that he will see that there's a big gap on the ground. He'll take Nardiev down and uh, either get the submission, decision, or possibly even a TKO on the ground. So the pick is going to be uh, Pizaris to extend that win streak to nine wins. Uh, yeah, I agree most of the time uh, on most of it. I think um, Nardiev, he has like some sort of weird uh, Wonder Boy comparison. I don't really see a ton of it, although I'm not sure that's a compliment either because Wonder Boy has been uninspiring in the last few years. But I think Prezeris, he's a very solid welterweight. He was a very, very fat lightweight. So, big weight, you know, ever. And I think he's, um, his last fight over Bartosz Fabinski was just one-sided. I think he guillotined him after knocking him down in like 50 seconds and crazy like that. So I think Prezeris is very good. Prezeris should be able to just take him down, choke him out, something like that. I think, I'm not sure of the upside Prezeris has. Prezeris has a win over um, Merbek Tysimov, who is excellent. But, I mean, Tysimov didn't look good in that fight. He's improved a lot since, and that's pretty much Prezeris' best win. So I think at welterweight, I'm not sure where Prezeris' ceiling is. My guess is that it's pretty low, considering how reliant he is on athleticism. But then again, he's at welterweight, and the champion's very reliant on athleticism. So... <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to this fight. Uh, you know, every Pizarro's fight is, you know, somewhat exciting because the dude is just such a tank. So um, it's going to be a good one. And moving along to the next fight, uh, another really close fight. We got the, in the fight in the lightweight division, we have Damir Hadzovic, who is 12-4, taking on Polo Reyes, who is 8-4. He dropped the Marco, just Polo Reyes now. And uh, looking over at the opening betting line for this one, we have... Uh, Polo Reyes as the minus 120 favorite, Hadzovic as plus 100. Um, you know, two-way action coming in on this fight. The line is currently now at our affiliate sportsbook five dimes. We see Hadzovic minus 120, Polo Reyes plus 100. So I'll let you go first on this one, Spiro. What are you thinking about this matchup? Uh, I think Hadzovic is pretty decent. I'm not. I don't rate Polo Reyes particularly highly just because. Like, uh, his best show, well, not his best showing, his most memorable showing was, like, UFC 199 against um, Maestro Dong Yun Kim, where they just threw punch. It was, like, um, the UFC version of Don Fry versus Takayama, where they just threw punches over and over with zero defense. And uh, Polar Race has since lost to, I believe, James Vick, and he's... Uh, I don't think Polar Race is amazing, and I'm not a big fan of Hadzovic either, but I do believe he's coming off... Um, let's see here. A win had Nikon. Against Hein, he lost to Patrick, I believe, and um, the knockout to Marchin held. So I think Hadzovic, he should have the advantage here. I think he's a solid fighter everywhere. I'm not like 
passionate about this fight, but you know, it's it's a good one. For an undercard, it's pretty decent. And Marco Polo Reyes doesn't do boring fights. Yeah, this fight should uh should be contested on the feet, I expect. Um, you know, I think it is a little evenly matched. You know, we saw uh I believe Hadzovic was out grappled by Patrick in their fight when he lost yep. there. Um, and then we've only really uh, we saw Hadzovic finish one time in his career by Tysimov. You know he's a you know Tysimov is a pretty elite level striker with a lot of power, and uh, that was the only guy who was able to get um, Hadzovic out of there by TKO. So, but Polo Reyes hits hard, man. You saw that against uh, Matt Frivola. He he knocked out Matt Frivola in one minute, while we saw Matt Frivola's chin on full display against Lando Venata in his last fight. You know he was rocked in that fight badly. He came back and he. Uh, uh, you know, uh, was able to uh, make that fight a draw after I think losing uh, some rounds 10 8 in that one. So you saw that <clears throat> Favola's chin is actually a lot better than we expected. So that, that uh, knockout that Polo Reyes has over him speaks volumes. But, uh, you know, we saw him knocked out by Vic. He did not look good in that fight, man. He struggled with the range of Vic and he was ultimately knocked out by a nasty 1 2 from Vic. Um, and, you know, we've seen Vic decline a little bit in the past couple, uh, in his past couple fights. And, um, so, you know, maybe, uh, maybe that win is a little bit suspect after all, um, or that loss, excuse me. So, um, you know, that, that, that win you did mention over Polar, uh, over Dung Hyung, uh, Maestro back at 199, just an epic fight, epic war. His, his chin, his cardio, his output was on full display in that fight. He, uh, he loves to brawl, you know, and, um, you know, I don't think Hazovic is really too comfortable brawling. He likes to, you know, have a, have a little more slow paced of a fight. Um, so, you know, Hazovic, his takedown defense is not very good. He's not very good at getting off of his back. And, um, you know, I guess his, his kickboxing is pretty good. He's got decent uh, defense. He showed that in the fight against Nick, Nick Hine. And um, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I, I guess I, uh, I favor Polar Reyes in this one. I think that this fight will be contested on the feet. And I just think he's a little more of a fluent striker. I think that he has a chance at dragging Hazovic into a brawl. And uh, maybe maybe testing that chin of Hazovic like... Um, Tysimov did, but right now looking at the betting lines for this one, I think that uh, Damir Hadzovic by decision at plus 260 has a little bit of value at it, you know like I said, uh, only one person was able to finish Hadzovic, and that was uh, Tysimov, Polarez might not be able to get the job done, and if he goes to the scorecards, I expect it to be close but, um, you know, this fight right now is actually uh, favored to end inside the distance uh, at minus 175 so we might not even see it go to the scorecards so it should be an exciting one um, and uh, I'm going to slightly lean Polo Reyes' way. Uh, yeah, I think most of that's fair. I think Polo, um, well, Polo Reyes' win over Frivola, it was kind of weird just because I don't generally think that people are, like, fight within, like, one minute. So, uh, Frivola surviving Lando shitting the bed that hard doesn't really say that much about Polo Reyes as a power striker. I think Polo Reyes, um, against uh, Maestro Dung and Kim, it wasn't really like a big attrition finish, but um, Kim did take a lot of punishment, obviously, because they were just, it was an all offense fight. So I'm not sure that I can favor Reyes going deep by like, draw, by, like drawing him into a brawl and like, you know, just swinging a bunch of punches. Because Hadzovic is relatively disciplined and kind of keep distance. Like, I think Polo Reyes' approach is fundamentally fragile just because. Uh, most good strikers can avoid being pulled into brawls. I think Hadzovic is good enough that, you know, you can't just walk at him and swing punches. Yeah, I agree with that too. Um, 
we're moving on to the next fight in the women's flyweight division. We have Jillian Robertson, who is five and three, taking on Veronica Macedo, who is five and two and one. The betting line for this one opened up Jillian Robertson as the minus two ten favorite, Veronica Macedo as the plus one eighty underdog. Looking over at five dimes right now, we see Robertson at minus one fifty five, Macedo at plus one thirty five. So actually, a, a decent amount of action coming in on Macedo. I gotta say, I'm pretty surprised in that one. In, in that aspect um this is a you know a, a pretty low level fight between uh these two women i i don't rate either of them too highly um you know both of them you know it's hard to say that they specialize in one thing we i guess robertson's specialty would be her her ground game her she likes uh shooting for takedowns to get in position and going for submissions but even that i don't think she's very good at we saw her take down uh maria bueno silva i believe is the woman's name or no i think it's livia renata Sosa. oh no no that was uh bueno silva i believe it was okay yeah. yeah um so yeah she took her down was able to get top position was winning round one uh, and then ended up getting armbarred uh, from top position with five seconds left in the round. It reminded me a lot of um, the, every single women's fight. Yeah, the uh, I was gonna say the Calderwood and uh, Faria fight, or Faria was on top in that fight. It's supposed to be the the better uh, jujitsu uh, practitioner out of the two, and then ends up getting sub from the bottom after winning the round. But uh, you know that's how women's MMA goes sometimes. Um, so. You know, uh, and this, so for a girl whose submissions is her is her bread and butter, Robertson is not very strong of a grappler, and Macedo is is got some good sub defense. You know, she was putting some bad spots against uh, Andrea Lee and also against Andrea uh, Ashley Evans Smith. Uh, a couple sub attempts that you know looked like they could finish the fight, but Macedo was able to scramble her way out of there, especially against Lee. Man, Lee had her in, uh, got her back a few times, maybe uh, had her in an armbar that was close, and she was able to get out of all of it. So she's got some good uh, sub defense. So it's going to be hard for Robertson to finish this fight. They both are pretty uncomfortable on the feet. Honestly, I have no idea who's going to win on the feet if, if the fight plays out there. Macedo is pretty undersized for, for one twenty five. You know, she used to fight at thirty five. She was tiny at that weight class and she honestly still seems pretty small at uh 125 she was out outsized by andrea lee who's not really a big um flyweight at all so i slightly lean robertson's way uh, i think this one gets done by decision i just don't i think that maceda will have decent enough sub defense to to uh, avoid robertson's submissions in this one and i think that robertson will win the fight just based on top control and being the bigger, more physical woman in there. So the pick is going to be Robertson to get it done by decision. And I think that's plus 315 right now or something like that, you know? Um, so that yeah, plus 329, that's that's some good value. So the pick is going to be Robertson by decision. What do you think, Instagram? I mean, my thoughts is just this is generally just the same 50-50 uh, women's fight. Veronica Macedo didn't look particularly great against Andrea Lee. survived, but she also took multiple heads. That... You know, everyone tries head and arm throws, but you don't fall for them more than once in women's MMA. Uh, I think Jillian Robertson, like, I don't rate her grappling that highly either, just because Molly McCann had no idea what to do on the ground. Um, she just had her back taken and got strangled ridiculously easily. So, um, I kind of lean the same way you're leaning, that Macedo gets kind of overpowered and just gets crawled all over by Robertson. And in my opinion, the best play here is probably fight goes to decision. I got stung um, last week by the Emily Whitmire fight that didn't go to decision, where um, got strangled in a minute. But in general, 
Uh, I think Fight Goes to Decision is a very good bet in women's MMA, especially at plus odds. So, I mean, I don't think there's a huge grab here, and that's generally when you go for a finish bet. So, uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think the line movement on Macedo is mostly just thirst because Macedo is, you know, there's that thing. And, um, yeah, I don't think this is a particularly bettable fight. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you saying that it's uh, again, uh, the plus money fight goes the distance. That's a good option, and you can't blame the the Macedo action. I mean, I said I was set, uh, I was surprised by the action, but I mean, anybody, you, you Robinson should not be minus two ten versus anybody. So I really can't uh, hate on people jumping in on uh, Macedo at plus one eighty because those odds are a little bit off. But I mean, I just uh, I wouldn't want to bet either side in this fight. If I had to make a bet, I would be on either. Uh, doesn't go to the distance or it goes to distance, so keep that in mind. But um, next fight, we are in the featherweight division. We got Daniel Tamer, who is six and two. Daniel Tamer, not David Tamer, um, and taking on Chris Fishgold, who is seventeen two and one. The betting line for this one um, opened up. Let's see here. I'm looking for it on Best Fight Odds and having trouble finding it. Um, here it is. Tamer's plus two ten. Fishgold's minus two fifty. Yeah, so it opened Tamer. Oh, wow. Tamer opened the favorite. Wow. At minus 130, Fishgold plus 110. The line has since totally flipped Fishgold minus 250, Tamer plus 210. And that's insane, the fact that Tamer opened favorite. Who knows if that's that's even a, a line error or what. But, you know, I, I favor Fishgold in this fight. I just think that he's the more rounded, well-rounded fighter. I think he's got uh, some decent wrestling, got good boxing, overhand right um, is, is good. He's uh, hurt a lot of people with that. His defense is not very good. You know, we saw that in the fight against your boy Calvin Cater. He boxed his face off in that one, eventually getting the finish. And, uh, you know, so uh, Fishgold, his chin might not be the best. His defense is certainly not the best. And, you know, da Daniel Tamer hits hard for the first I guess round or two he has good striking he's got power he was able to uh you know hurt his opponent daniel henry pretty badly in their in their fight but it was just eventually just gassed out in that fight and was able to lose the second and third round after dominating the first round it was a really you know underwhelming performance from from tamer in that one and then he went on to fight julio arce another another killer and it was uh you know outstruck in that fight um, was very tentative in that fight, was getting out-jabbed on the feet, and then was eventually taken down and submitted on the ground in that fight by Julio Arce. So uh, anywhere this fight goes, I think I favor uh, Fishgold. I think it will be competitive on the feet. I think that, you know, maybe if you're looking at a prop, maybe Tamer round one because, uh, man, Fishgold, like I said, that defense is not good. That chin is not particularly good. And, you know, Tamer comes out swinging. He's got power while he's still got that gas tank behind him. So he could certainly catch Fishgold early on in this fight. But the later it goes, if it goes to the decision, I really favor Fishgold. If it goes to the mat, I really favor Fishgold. And uh, the fact, uh, if anybody got on um, Fishgold in between the, you know, plus money to minus 200 range, uh, you know, congrats to you. But right now, minus 250, I would not trust Fishgold all the way at that price. Uh, after coming off that loss, so uh, the pick's gonna be Fishgold. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking Fishgold as well. I think Fishgold got dealt a really, really bad hand in his debut because Calvin Cater. He was off the Moicana loss, but Cater is, in my opinion, uh, something about a seven to five range featherweight because he's excellent. He's one of the best boxers in. Um, I think you could argue one of the best technical boxers in the UFC, 
and Fishgold had to just sort of come out and try to outbox that guy. So, I mean, it was a, a tough debut. It was a very big oversight in booking, considering that um, Fishgold was actually a pretty hyped Cage Warriors prospect. I believe he was the champion. He'd uh, only lost once, and that was like a bad decision. So, I think Fishgold should win this one. He has uh, his signatures like the guillotine, and Daniel Tamer hasn't really shown good grappling, although um, Tamer's biggest weakness has generally just been being a pretty stupid front loader in the sense that, like, his fight against Danny Henry, he hurt Henry really, really badly the first round, and he just swung for the entire round and, like, just got cardio poisoning in the second round. So, I mean, it's not... Um, it's not any sort of measured pressure. It's pretty much nothing measured from Tamer. I feel like the line opened for Tamer at minus odds just because his name is Tamer and he's actually the shit Tamer. But yeah, I favor Fishgold here. I think the odds are about accurate. I think even a first round finish, it favors Fishgold because against um, against Cater, he came out swinging really, really hard. And he also seemed to have a decent grasp of what gave Cater trouble in that fight in the sense that, you know, he came out leg kicks and Cater couldn't really defend any, but, you know, Cater just threw and punched his nose through the back of his head. So, uh, yeah, I favor Fishgold pretty soundly here. Nice. Uh, next fight in the welterweight division, we have Carlo Pedrozoli, who is 11-2, taking on Dwight Grant, who is 8-2. The opening betting line for this one was Pedrozoli, the minus 145 favorite, Dwight Grant at plus 125. The line is exactly the same right now. So I'm sure this line has been bouncing up and down all week. But right now it sits at the, the current opening price. Um, I'll let you go first on uh, this one, Suram. What are you thinking about this matchup? Uh, I mean, Carlo Pettersoli is a pretty decent fighter. But his last fight obviously wasn't a good showing because he went up against um, Alex Oliveira. And Oliveira is like top five in the division when it comes to just raw sheer power. He's like stupidly and just caught a kick and just nuked Pedersoli in like 30 seconds. But I think as bad as that showing was, Dwight Grant's showing against Zach Otto was somehow worse. Um, he just couldn't pull the trigger for 15 minutes. And uh, I think I favored Grant. I didn't bet on Grant because I don't generally bet on the really juiced um, Dana White Contender Series guys. And Dwight, uh, Dwight Grant was coming off um, one of the most vicious knockouts in the history of that, uh, of that show where he... Uh, Dauber number one with like a right hook and a left that like he just absolutely killed him. So the odds were inflated. I didn't bet on Otto because Otto sucks, but both of them just spent the entire fight circling each other very tentatively. And that like I think Petoli, he um I believe he beat Brad Scott, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And, um yeah, so Petisoli is generally pretty decent. Dwight Grant anymore, and Dwight, like, you know, I, there wasn't really a big reason to trust him anyway, but you could sort of trust him, for, um, you know, punch chance, and he was a really good puncher, and then he went to the auto fight and shit the bed. So, I'm thinking fight, um, I mean, yeah, fight goes to decision as a minus 140, which says a lot. I'm thinking Pettersoli via decision, uh, so, yeah, Pettersoli via decision's at plus 194, where Grant just, you know, can't pull the trigger again. It's probably either Pettersoli via decision or Grant inside the distance. You can kind of work a hedge around that. 
Yeah, I, uh, I agree with that pretty well there. Um, Pedro Jolie is, uh, you know, a decent fighter that you mentioned that has been delivered Brad Scott. That was a, you know, a good performance. Just a high output, high intensity kickboxing match. You know, he showed his cardio is good. His defense is good. And it was a, you know, it was a close fight, but he was able to win that one. And, uh, you know, like you said, got uh, sparked against Oliveira. But that's that, there's no shame in that loss. One of the best in the division there. But yeah, Dwight Grant. Uh, I just looking at his record. I remember that fight against Auto was just awful. It was just one of the worst fights in recent memory. And then I looked at his Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series fight, and I, I remember what a beast he looked like in that fight. His his punches were stinging his opponent right off the bat, and then he was able to make that adjustment mid-fight, follow up that right hand with a left hook, and put his opponent to sleep uh, with a, a very impressive knockout. And that he just. That wasn't the same fighter at all in that fight against Zach Otto. I mean, you know, this guy's a—he's uh, a small welterweight. He's skinny. He's—he's he's 34 years old. You know, he's making his debut very late in his career. Um, you know, I, I think Pedrozoli is—is is the much like going to be the you know he's going to be uh, the shorter fighter, but I think he's much thicker. He's going to be the bigger, uh, more physical, imposing guy in the octagon. He's also uh, almost 10 years younger. He's uh, Pedro's always got a great ground game as well. You know, you look at his his wins on the uh, the regional circuit uh, level; they're all submissions. You know, who knows? We haven't really seen his grappling too much in the UFC, but uh, I'm sure he's got a good uh, grappling pedigree to go behind. So, you know, I, I did think that uh, Petrozoli at plus one ninety four could be uh, you know some value in that one, but. Uh, you know, I think the Pedrozoli, if he chooses to fight, to get, uh, get this fight to the floor, you know, he could possibly sub his opponent, Dwight Grant, this one. So, you know, uh, his money line at minus 145 is honestly looking pretty good right now. I just favor him wherever this fight goes. You know, maybe Dwight Grant could show up and, you know, ha not be so tentative like he was against Otto and then show off the, his his hands, show off that power that he showed in the, in the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series. And, you know, that would be a, a delightful surprise if, if that did happen. But I don't know, man. That first fight was a, a big red flag for Dwight Grant. I mean, I expect him to look better. It's it, He can't look much worse than he did in that fight. Even though, I mean, I think he might have won that fight, you know, because Otto did nothing either. It was just a terrible performance from both men. So uh, I'm going to lean Pedrozoli's way in this one. I think he gets this one done. Uh, I'm going to go with submission by this, uh, for the pick in this one. Uh, I mean, I think uh, Grant not pulling the trigger in the Otto fight... I really don't know what it came down to. It could have just been stage fright, and that's kind of silly. And uh, it feels like recency bias, considering that Dwight Grant looked like a legitimately scary knockout artist against the contender series guy he faced. But it's just it's tough to trust him after that one. And yeah, I did think he won, but that fight is just I award you both no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Yeah, I think this one's like a, a favorite or pass situation. I just don't think there's any value on Grant at 125. So. Uh, moving on to the main card, we got six main card fights going down at 2 p.m. Eastern time. What a fucking delight that's gonna be! Um, you know, uh, there's been a lot of weird times in the UFC lately. I think we had a maybe was there a Friday card? No, no, I don't. Maybe there wasn't. But uh, they're experimenting with a lot of new times. You know, they're going on ESPN. We had the Sunday night 9 p.m. card. Uh, now we're getting a Saturday 2 p.m. card. So. Uh, the switching things out. I guess the prelims are going to be starting at 11 a.m. Eastern time, so got to set alarm for these fights. But uh, that being said, getting on to the main card, we got a fight in the light heavyweight division. We have Mangomed Ankalev, who is 10 and 1, taking on Clidson Farias. Uh, do you have any idea how to pronounce that gentleman's name? 
Uh, I'm just going to call him Clidson. Clidson Farias, yeah. Well, uh, let's look at the opening betting line for this one. Uh, Ankalev opened minus 245. Uh, Farias plus 175. Farias D. Abreu is his name on best fight odds. Um, looking over at five dimes right now, we see Ankalev minus 225. Uh, Farias at plus 185. So not much money coming in on Ankalev. Uh, I mean, I don't really blame people. I mean, you really can't trust this guy with your money at that much of a favorite price. I mean, maybe against uh, Prochnio, who is, you know, just kind of like a zombie on the feet. He, do- he doesn't have good defense. He just kind of marches forward with uh, his hands down and each each shot. Was, he was eventually knocked out in the first round of that fight. But, you know, against a grappler, man, I would be super, super hesitant to lay the chalk on Magomed Ankalov in this one. We all know what happened in the Paul Craig fight. He uh, was winning that fight uh, probably three rounds to zero, uh, was on top in that fight, and was, was, I don't know, just got complacent in the last 10 seconds, got a triangle thrown on with five seconds left, and couldn't hold hold on for five more seconds. I mean, mean, Paul Craig's triangle must have been absolutely perfect about to put him unconscious because he tapped right away. One of the fastest taps I've ever seen to a triangle. I mean, that, that fight just stands out as one of the weirdest fights ever. A plus 500 underdog tapping an opponent out with one second left in the round after losing all 14 minutes. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's not like it's not like Ankalev was, was uh, 10-8-ing him every round. You know, I, I just watched that fight. Uh, Ankalev definitely didn't, didn't dominate as much as, you know, everyone made it out to be. He was actually taken down in that fight, uh, I believe twice by Paul Craig. Uh, but he he just uses a, a lot of power, uh, you know, a little bit of technique, but mostly power. I think to reverse position, like he'll let you take him down, and then he'll just you you know grab an underhook and you know just power back up to the feet or something like that. He actually hit a few uh, sweeps in that fight too to reverse position on. Um, on Paul Craig, so I expect for Farias, you know, uh, you know, he's uh, trying to get this fight to the floor. His submissions are where all of his fights have, uh, where he's won uh, almost all of his fights. I think, you know, definitely his last five fights, uh, all coming by way of submission. Uh, you know, against uh, decent competition too. You know, he's fighting over in Brave uh, and M1 promotions, uh, well-established promotions over in Eastern Europe. Um, He's he's familiar with that landscape, familiar with uh, you know the the Czech scene or wherever those fights are taking place. Um, so uh, you know I, I honestly uh, you know Farias uh, his subline I think is going to be something to look out for. I expect it to be right around his money line because you know he he does not look comfortable on the feet. If this fight stays on the feet, uh, I expect Ankalev to butcher him on the feet, poss- or probably getting that that finish. Um, but you know. Uh, if Farias is able to get this fight to the floor, uh, it's going to get interesting because Ankalev does not have good takedown defense. And, um, you know, if Farias can certainly capitalize on a position, you know, if you watch Farias, one of Farias's fights, he's he takes an opponent down. The opponent has, uh, you know, a reckless uh, uh approach to getting back to his feet where he turns his back and just powers to his feet and Farias takes his back and chokes him out right away you know so if Ankalev tries to do that in this fight like he did against Paul Craig just power out of positions without much technique he could certainly get caught so you know the 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 line hasn't dropped yet Farias inside the distance plus 332 that's a great line I mean so I mean I expect his his uh, submission line to be around plus three fifty. That's certainly worth a stab uh, for Farias. But uh, the pick is going to be Ankalev. I think that uh, ultimately he he will just uh, 
um, be the better fighter in this uh, spot. I think that he has a good chance at uh, stuffing Frias' shots and uh, butchering him on the feet for the finish. So the pick is going to be Ankalev, but it, it could get real interesting if Frias gets this fight to the floor. Um, I don't give Farias much of a shot, but that's mostly because I don't know a ton about Farias. Uh, I know a decent amount about Ankalaev, and he's actually impressed me a lot, even with the Paul Craig fight. I mean, I can't really give too much credence to getting triangled in the last 10 seconds of a fight, because it's, you know, he kind of got, like, it's like calling Korean zombie vulnerable to running into weird meme back elbows. It's just not going to happen again 99% of the time. So... I think Ankalaev looked like a very good grappler in the Paul Craig fight. He kept top position and just beat the shit out of him for a good deal of that fight. It wasn't quite as dominant as, you know, people made it seem like, you know, um, it was like, you know, Khabib, Michael Johnson, before Michael Johnson just threw up an armbar or something. It wasn't anything like that. But it was um, Ankalaev soundly, soundly winning every stage of the fight. Um, he got taken down twice, but he reversed the position pretty soundly both times. In my opinion, it wasn't really like, He's going to give up his back or anything like that. I think um, Uncle Ive is pretty well-versed wherever it goes, and I do think Uncle Ive is a very strong striker. Uh, against Marcin Prachnio, I mean, um, I think Prachnio, he isn't good, but I think him getting killed by Sam Alvey has him kind of underrated because Uncle Ive actually did some slick stuff in that fight. He, um, he like, landed a right check hook type thing and just ducked underneath the return and kicked him on the guard, which knocked uh, Prachinio down so hard that I think he knocked himself out on the floor. And then just, you know, landed another left hook that, like, bounced his head off the floor. I like Uncle Ive as a prospect, and I think the booking, uh, the original booking here was uh, Magomed Ankalaev Ive versus Darko Stasic. And that would have been a much more interesting fight called one of the two prospects that uh, Light Heavyweight actually has. So I think this uh, is going to be um, something of a breakout fight for Ankalaev because I don't think a pure grappler can um, can do much against Ankalaev. Like Paul Craig is basically a pure grappler, but he's also long and weird as fuck. So I don't think that it's going to be a particularly close fight. I think the line um, I was surprised to see it this narrow actually when uh, Ankalaev was a massive favorite over Paul Craig and uh, Farias much more proven than Paul Craig, but, you know, I guess because Paul Craig is horrible. Um, yeah, I think Uncle Ive is the pick here. Uncle Ive in distance is um, minus 119. You know, not much value in this fight, but it is what it is. Yeah, I'm surprised he's not much more of a favorite either. We saw him minus 700 and minus 500 in his first two fights, and here he is against uh, you know a, a, a debutante uh, at minus 225. So maybe people are learning to not lay that chalk on such um, you know an unreliable guy. But I think he he is uh, you know reliable in the spot. I think he will get it done. Um, uh, good point about the finishing combo, man. That he avoided a punch uh, i believe it was an overhand from uh Prochnio and then just countered with his own uh inside uh short hook rocked him and then just blasted him with that head kick so he's got good counter punching he's 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 uh you know very well skilled on the feet uh, I, I assume he's a sambo guy you know he uh the one thing i will mention about him though is this motherfucker uh like shouted out uh uh Kradiov in his last fight uh, whatever his name ramazan uh, what's the homeboy's name? Karate. I believe it's KD Rov. Yeah, um, 
So, uh, yeah, Ramzan Kadrov, you know, uh, this the murderous dictator of Chechnya, whatever, won his UFC fight and, like, gave a shout-out to this dude in the fucking octagon afterwards. Like, it's insane. You know, the UFC has has, has banned sponsors uh, from the UFC. I think the it's pre, Praetorian or something like that. It was some Brazilian company that had some immoral ethics or something like that back in the day and they, they banned them from sponsoring the UFC but then they got UFC fighters like shouting out like murderous dictators afterwards I mean that's not like they should cut the guy necessarily just for that but like maybe not give him a, a post fight interview if he wins to, uh, this weekend um, regardless yeah I mean that. you know I have a lot there are too many um, people with bizarre political views in MMA I know a ton of the Brazilian fighters um, support Jair Bolsonaro, who's basically right wing um, to the extreme and legitimately crazy. So it's tough for me to say that, you know, there are great people, especially when, um, you know, you have people supporting Ramzan Kadyrov, who uh, I believe one of his things was like, there are no more gay people in Chechnya. Cause if yeah, he like, he, he rounds them or like, something. Yeah, he's like trying to genocide gay people. Um, it's one of the most um, disgusting things to see people shouting out people like that, but um, there's too much of it in MMA. It's it's bad. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I heard him say something like "Crodiol," you know, and and then I was like, "That did that motherfucker do what I just think he did?" And then um, Kareem Zidane, you know, a, a great reporter on on uh, on MMA who reports a lot about these stories in Russia and these stories about you know Eastern European uh, oligarchs and their influence on MMA. And he tweeted that, yeah, that guy did just give, you know, the salute to Kradia, if you were wondering. But one thing that just to point out is that guys with like Magomed in their name in the are like 20 or like 18 and two or 25 and two in the UFC. You know, Zabit Magomed Sharapov, Magomed Mustavov, uh, Magomed Biblatov, uh, you know, there's uh, and then we got Magomed Ankalov, uh Rashid Magomedov, you know, there's a lot of great guys uh, in the U.S. You know, it's a little bit of a super superstition, but still, you can't I mean, ignore it when that, they're 23, 20 and 3. Go ahead. I mean, it's more that Dagestan has become kind of a hotbed for uh, MMA. I think it's uh, a lot of it is uh, promotions like ACB. Uh, Peter Yan is also from ACB, and um, he's amazing. There are a lot of great fighters coming out of promotions like ACB, uh, M1, promotions in russia which um, yeah ksw a lot of brave uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot i mean when i see a fighter i would much uh, you know a guy debuting in the ufc i would much much rather see him have fought in acb or m1 or fng or you know uh ksw one of those eastern european promotions as you know fighting in you know uh, an american regional promotion so their, their their talent pool is is deep over there so um Speaking of Peter Yan, though, let's get let's get to the people's main event in the bantamweight division. We got John Dodson, uh, who is twenty and ten, taking on Peter Yan, who is eleven and one. The opening betting line for this one was Peter Yan minus two oh five, John Dodson plus one seventy five. Looking over at five dimes right now, we see Peter Yan minus two seventy, John Dodson plus two thirty. Um, this you know right away, Yan got steamrolled down to like minus three fifty, which is where my bitch ass uh, bet on him at minus three thirty five. And now I'm staring at him at minus 270. So a little bit of more action coming in on Dodson. 
Uh, I mean, I just I just really, really trust Peter Jan in this one. I think I really cap him around minus 450. I mean, the dude has just impressed the fuck out of me in the UFC so far. He's got great boxing. He's got, um, you know, not the best defense, but his chin is just insane. You know, he makes up for his his defense and chin, but it's not it's not like he throws wind to defense, but he certainly uh, can be hit. We saw that in the soon fight. Um, but he, like I said, he just ate, he just ate those shots and kept coming forward like it was nothing. He'll, he'll spam calf kicks at you. He's got good wrestling. He's able to get on top of you and uh, you know submit you if he if he needs to. And um, you know he's he's just three and zero in the UFC so far. He's got two finishes, uh, one decision win where you know his output was just insane. His cardio, his chin, everything was just on display. And uh, you know, I just he he's on he's got such great momentum, he's got such great skills, and he's fighting a guy who I think is is losing momentum and is losing skills and attributes. John Dodson, a former title challenger, a guy who was at flyweight, he was knocking people dead. You know, his boxing at, at flyweight was was you know one of the uh, one of the best uh, you know tools in that entire division. You know that was you know a lot of people thought that he could beat. Um, uh, DJ, but you know that n- never ever materialized. You know, I think that they fought twice, and uh, you know was uh, lost to DJ both times. But then he moved up to 135 and just never really looked the same. You know, I think he got one finish over uh, Manny G- Gamburian, but he's coming off of three split decisions in a row. I think right? No, no, he got uh he got 3027 uh, by Rivera. Yeah, 3027 by Rivera. Here's another thing. We just saw Jimmy Rivera looked very average last weekend. You know, against Aljamain Sterling. He looked flat. He was outstruck by Aljamain, and you know it it could have been a combination of things. It could have been uh, Rivera was you know his body wasn't uh, up to par. It could have been Aljo really stepped up to the plate, improved his boxing, or you know it just could be Jimmy Rivera is you know uh, you know declining. He was declined after that Marlon Marais fight. He fought super super safe against John Dodson and was just able easily able to outbox Dodson in that fight. Um, and then before that, you know, Dodson he had low output split decisions against Munoz, who you know really questionable. Marias, you know, a, a closer fight, um, but you know, it, it's just he's he's, I think he's dropping off. I think he's you know looking, he's losing that speed. He's losing his um, his power for sure in, in every fight. And I just think that this one is just so clearly in Jan's favor. Um, and, uh, you know, I trust him at minus 270. I think he is the lock of the night. I think, like I said, I cap him minus 450, given his chances, you know, 83%, something along that. The only chance I see John, John Dodson winning this fight is circling around the cage, you know, running, being on his bike, and just winning a low output split decision where not much happened. If he's able to run away from Jan the entire fight, and you know, land a little bit more than than Jan, just slightly outland him. You know, the judges could give it his way. You know, we've seen it happen before, like against Munoz. Um, but you know, I just I just don't think that the Jan is going to let that happen. I think he's going to close the distance. He's going to be pressuring Dodson, and he will event, uh, win the decision. Uh, and uh, that's going to be the pick. Uh, I'm th- I favor Jan as well. Jan's excellent. He's a very, very sound pressure fighter. I remember against Teruto Ishihara, he just kept his back on the fence for basically the entire fight. He got Ishihara to the fence and just didn't let him off the fence for the entire fight. But I think Dotson's a more dog than you put it. I don't favor him, but I don't think Dotson's lost physical attributes. I think it's more of a game planning thing that's kind of killed all of his efficacy. Um, the way that Dotson has usually worked is, uh, and he, you even saw this against Marlon Moraes, right? 
Uh, when guys can't get his timing because he's fast as shit, he can just run forward and wing left hands. Like against Marlon Moraes, it was a double left hand. And um, against a ton of guys, it was just walking in or sprinting in, cutting to an outside angle and just spamming left hands at them. Against Pedro Munoz, the commentators thought his right hand was broken because all he... <laughs> that, that's what he does, right? And I think Dotson, he's kind of uh, gone the Jackson, the Jackson Wink way where he's trying to point fight and he doesn't really want to get finishes anymore. And I think um, the Dotson is that he's really, really fast, but he's also one note. He's gotten away with being one note because he's fast, but he's faced two very, very strong counter punchers in Rivera and Marais in two of his last three, I believe. So, um, yeah, they were able to key on his, uh, they were able to key on his entries. They were able to basically just catch him on the way in every single time. And I think Rivera looked absolute shit against uh, Aljamain Sterling, but he looked excellent against Dodson. He just he just stopped him every single time Dodson tried to attack. So, or, so I think it's really tough to favor Dodson here, but I think Jan can get a little reckless at times, especially when he's comfortable in a fight. I think Jan, like against Douglas Silva, DeAndrage, he pretty much buzzsawed DeAndrage for the entire fight. But late in the fight, he got really, really wild with his shifting. Like, in the best way, there was a point where he threw a 1-2 from Orthodox, weaved out to hide his shift, and then threw a 1-2 from Southpaw immediately afterwards. It was beautiful. Peter Jan's just the best. But I think Jan does leave openings when you shift than if you stay in a stance. And Dotson showed that against TJ Dillashaw, right? Dillashaw shifted forward and ate a left hand. Dotson still has the power, in my opinion. He still has the speed. He just doesn't have the inclination to use either to its fullest potential. So I think the way this fight goes is Jan's going to pressure. Dotson's going to try to run away. Um, Dotson's going to try to run in with his left hands and probably get countered a few times and just doing it. And um, Dotson's going to try to use his speed to get away from Jan, but Jan will just be too sound of a pressurer to let him away from the fence. And um, eventually Dotson's going to force to fight off the fence because when a guy's forcing him to the fence, Put you off the fence. The only way out is to get your way off. And Yan's just going to counterpunch him to death. I'm thinking Yan by decision because Dodson's always been freakishly tough. But I mean, I could see a finish if Dodson's as shot as you say. I just don't really think he is. Yeah, I mean, the way that I think that Peter Young could really put this fight in his favor is just that leg kick. If he could get that leg kick going early and limit Dodson's movement, then I think he could get that finished rounds two or three. But if he's not really able to limit his mobility, it is going to be hard for him to accumulate that damage to get the finish. Um, good couple points about Dodson's movement. Yeah, he does use that, that double left hook, and it's just... He just looks like he's, you know, like you said, point fighting in there. He just shows very little tenacity to win the fight. He he doesn't throw. I mean, I feel like he never throws anything more than like sixty or seventy percent. Um, so you know, he could you know uh, counter um, Jan a couple times with that left hook. But I just, I mean, I think that's going to be good for Jan. I think that we saw in that fight against Soon is when he got hit by Soon, he would want to come back harder. He would get hit with one or two shots, and he'd come back with three or four hard shots and. You know, that's not always the smartest way to fight, but I mean, against a guy who is, had, does not have much power in Dodson, I think that that's a, you know, a pretty safe yes. game plan in this fight. So I'm uh, really looking forward to seeing Jan shine in this one, and um, it's going to be a good fight. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it is I still think Dodson has real power, and uh, Jan could run into... Like, I remember against uh, Sylvie Andrade, there was a point where he shifted forward and just slipped and fell. 
in DeAndrage's direction. It was hilarious, but it could also just get him run into a left hand if Dodson finds the inclination to sit down on the left hand at any point. I think um, I think Dodson's shown the inclination like to swing out of positions where he can't just get away. I don't think Dodson's a particularly great outfighter. He, again, gets away with speed. And against Pedro Munoz, Munoz started to try to cut him off with like body kicks and stuff. And Dodson was able to just force him into the defensive with just these quick, sharp, like left-hand combinations and just get away while Munoz was covering up. I have no idea how that was a split, by the way. I think Dodson won fairly clearly. But it, was, uh, it wasn't a great showing in terms of um, Dodson being an outfighter. It was kind of Dodson backing up whenever Pedro wanted to back him up and then just swinging out because Pedro couldn't counterpunch him because Pedro's relatively slow for the division. So, uh, yeah, I think that works in Peter Yan's favor because Peter Yan's a better puncher than Pedro Munoz, and he's a lot faster than Pedro Munoz. Um, and I think Peter Yan might be able to work the leg. I know for a fact that he's probably going to work the body because um, Peter Yan actually has very good body work. I remember against Silva D'Andrade, he, um, he worked the body with the straight to the body. I remember he worked the body on the counter, which is ridiculous because you don't normally see people do that. And uh, especially in... Uh, MMA because people are worried about like kicks and knees up the middle but Peter Yan just doesn't give a fuck I want to see him knock the shit out of Dodson and move up to kill the division but I'm not sure it's as much of a sure deal as you're portraying it to be nice um, next fight in the women's flyweight division we have Liz Carmouche who is 12 and 6 taking on Lucy Pudilova who is 8 and 4 and the opening betting line for this one was Carmouche minus 110, Pudilov minus 110, a pick'em. And now we're looking at uh, over on our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.ubc, Liz Carmouche minus 140, Lucy Pudilova plus 120. So action coming in on Carmouche. I, I can't blame the public for that one. Uh, you know, this is a, a, a striker versus grappler matchup. We have Liz Carmouche you know is a, a great grappler she's been in the sport for you know a decade uh it seems like maybe even more you know been in the ufc for a long time strike force invicta she's fought you know the who's who of women and she's been you know her wrestling has taken her a long way she's beaten you know good good fighters good stand-up fighters like caitlin chukagian um and uh, man, she got a win over Jessica Andrade back in the day too. So you know she's, um, you know, I've certainly that was at 135 before Andrade dropped down and really got herself, you know, fully fully well rounded. But still, that win shows a lot. And uh, Pudilova, man, you know her last fight, one of the, one of the best women's fights I've ever seen. You know, just a straight high low, high intensity, high output uh, kickboxing match where both women were landing hard shots. They were land their jabs were beautiful. Their you know uh, Pudilova's kicks, man, they're wicked she's a big girl you know she's a big long girl for 35 Carmouche is kind of a shorter stockier girl and uh, you know this is going to be a really great matchup we you know Carmouche is going to be trying to close that distance she's got good good takedowns good top pressure she can threaten with a sub uh, you know I, I fully expect Pudilova to be the better striker I fully expect Carmouche to be the, the better grappler so it really comes down to Pudilova's takedown defense in this fight I think that if her takedown defense is on point she could win this fight but so far in the UFC she has not shown two greats uh, you know uh, takedown defense she lost to um, you know uh, Lena Landsberg and uh, Sarah Morass was, was able to take her down in that and uh, their fight as well so 
you know, it's a it's a very close matchup. I I do know that Pudilova has been uh, working with the 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 Czech. Uh, women's wrestling team for a while people were talking about that that she's been posting pictures uh wrestling with the czechs women's wrestling team for you know uh, about a year now so she's definitely working on her wrestling she knows that's her weakness and um you know, it's just it's just tough to trust uh, uh, the her takedown defense. You know, you're you're if you're betting on Pudilova at plus one twenty five, you are relying on the fact that her takedown defense has improved, and it has improved good enough to stop a great wrestler in Karmusha's takedowns, which you know it certainly might have. But is plus one twenty five good enough of a price to, to bet on that? I, I don't think so. So, you know, I would love to see Pudilova stuff the shots and make this and show her her beautiful striking on the feet. Uh, you know, working her jab and her, her kicks. I think that she will, uh, you know, completely outstrike Carmouche on the feet, you know, possibly even finish Carmouche if this if she, her takedown defense is on point and she's stuffing shots. But, you know, I don't expect that to go that way. I expect Carmouche to get her down. You know, it might not be over the second she gets her to the ground, but, man, I believe Carmouche will have success. She could, you know, I think she will win the round when if she takes her down. I don't see Pudilova getting up too easily. But, uh, you know, Carmouche could tire out. Pudilova could stuff the shots in round two and three and make it a close decision so this is a really really close fight I'm, I'm looking forward to it it's a it's a this is a, a very good level uh, of skill in women's uh ufc so i'm looking forward to this fight i mean i don't feel nearly as conf like not confident i don't feel as optimistic about it because i think pudelov had a really fun fight with irene aldana but it wasn't a technically strong fight in the sense that um you know they both just kind of brawled. It was the women's MMA version of um, the fight we mentioned earlier of Polo Reyes versus uh, Maestro Dong Yun Kim. And this one just, it wasn't particularly compelling to me. Like it was fun, but it wasn't interesting. And I think um, I favor Liz Carmouche here because I think it mostly just comes down to an athleticism difference. I think Carmouche is um, one of the more powerful women. I, as you mentioned, she's built, you know, very stocky. She's thick to put it in uh, you know, <laughs> CK. Uh, I, I just realized after I said that 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 sounded weird as shit. With the but, CK. <laughs> CK, it's CK, definitely CK. But I think, uh, yeah, Carmouche, uh, you know, Carmouche via Smash, I don't feel strongly about this fight. I don't think it shows a particularly high level of skill. Despite Carmouche, Carmouche actually has a win in, in her fifth fight over Valentina Shevchenko, but it was a doctor stoppage. So, I mean, weird shit. But I think, um, yeah, I think Carmouche via Smash. Yeah, I saw some guys talking about uh, Pudilova being the only Czech fighter on the card in there. They're trying to prop her up for uh, a title fight, or they're, maybe they're trying to get the Carmouche, the rematch. And, and some guy was like, dude, I don't think they're thinking about any of this. I think they just paired two names up. They don't care about Pudilova being Czech or, or Carmouche's title shot. Like They have no idea what they're doing, which I totally I mean, agree with. You could line up any two people in women's and they're like, three fights at absolute worst from a title shot. Especially when, I don't know which weight class this is at. This is at women's flat. Yeah, that's that goes even more. Women's flyweight is a wasteland. Like there are people there, but there's just no one established enough where you could say, you know what, this is the clear number one contender. The closest to that is Jessica I, and that is sad as fuck. I agree with that one. Um, yeah, for sure. It's She's the number one contender. That's crazy. Um, and getting on to the... 205 matchup in the lightweight division we have john volante who is 17 and 10 taking on michel olek Sechuk. i don't know how to say his last name at all olek we'll call him michel olek um so we got uh, over at the betting window 
Um, Olek open as the minus 190 favorite. Volante at plus 165. Right now we see uh, Olek at minus 210. Volante plus 175. So. Right, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think that the the value is going to be on Volante in this one. You know, it's it's there's not much value, you know, because I think that Olek should be the favorite. It's not quite minus two ten. I mean, Volante has that ability to that Sam Alvey ability to lure you into a low output, uh, you know, boxing match. Just uh, really not throwing any, uh, you know, his cardio is bad, his output is bad, he's, you know, he's got a decent chin, I guess, but he, it, Volante does not do any much right in the UFC, I mean, I don't, if this guy wasn't Chris Weidman's best friend, I don't even know that he would have been in the UFC at all, certainly not for the, for not this long, uh, you know, he's had a pretty, pretty mediocre career over the history of the UFC, so, but Olek is, you know, he's he had a you know a good fight against Clear Roundtree. I believe that was his UFC debut in that fight. Uh, you know, he looked he looked decent in that fight. He his cardio was um, uh, that fight was a no contest apparently. I wonder why. Didn't uh, I think he popped? Oh, okay. Nice, nice. So um, yeah, that's that's gonna be something to think about in this fight. You know, whether if he's coming off of his uh, special supplements and he's not as uh, as you know powerful as he once. You know, I, I didn't think he's too powerful to start with, but um, shit, man. If the, if if that fight was him on steroids, I can't imagine him looking very good off steroids. So. You know he's got a he's got decent stand up. He's he tries to have defense. He tries to use head movement and cover up for punches. He just doesn't really move his feet much. So it's kind of hard for him to avoid too many shots. I mean, he was eating a lot of shots from Roundtree. Even when Roundtree was gassed out, he was eating punches. So you know, and his output and his cardio did not look too good. He also slowed down pretty considerably. He really just beat uh round three in that one by being a little more active but they were both really gassed in round three uh you know Oleg was able to hit a takedown was able to win the round on top in that fight so you know he does have the ability to wrestle if he wants to but i believe volante's takedown defense is actually pretty good uh, i mean like i said he's volante is going to i believe is going to be the bigger fighter in there so it's going to be difficult for uh Oleg to take him down so you know I guess Olek I favor to win a decision uh, on the feet, uh, you know, a striking battle. But, you know, Volante, like I said, certainly has that ability to win a, a close decision, a close split decision, something like that. So, um, you know, the pick is going to be Olek to get the, the win would be a decision. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling the same way. I don't think, I mean, I, Volante, the only strong feeling I feel about him is just I don't care. It's pure, unadulterated meh. And I think... Um, Olesicek, he looked good against Khalil Roundtree, but Khalil Roundtree isn't very good past, um, you know, swinging big shots. He knocked out uh, Gokan Saki, but that's because Saki is like 1,000 years old and been in the fight game for 2,000 years. So I think, um, you know, Khalil Roundtree isn't really a win to hang your hat on, and uh, Olesicek did pop for steroids after that fight. So, I mean... Uh, Olesicek, I think his body punching looked decent against Khalil Roundtree. He, um, he put together some nice combinations and stuff. It's just beating Khalil Roundtree, it doesn't impress me. Like, it's the same reason why I'm kind of fading Johnny Walker going into the, uh, Serkunov fight. It's why I faded him going into the Ledette fight, even though that didn't work out. It's just, uh, there are some fighters who, once you get past that initial burst, they're a punching bag. And that's what Khalil Roundtree was against Olesicek once, uh, he gassed out. So I think Jean Vellante, uh, a.k.a. Weidman's Artem, there might be some value there, but I don't care enough about this fight to bet on. I don't bet on um, these 
the fights where you can't really trust either person to do anything well. Because I think Jean Vellante, he's just like, I remember against Francis Barbosa, he just walked forward, pressured, and did exactly nothing with it. And that's the sort of fight where, that's the sort of fighter who I don't bet on. Because they don't do anything well enough where you can say, this is his win condition. Jean Vellante is just going to go to a semi close decision every single goddamn time. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's such, such a shame he's on the main card, you know, but. Oh well, at least it's not uh, at eleven thirty at night where it's gonna put us to sleep. It'll be at you know one p.m. But um, speaking of bad fights, the co-main event of the evening we have Stefan Struve who is twenty-eight and eleven taking on Marcos Hodirio de Lima who is sixteen five and one. The betting line for this one opened up. Uh, pick them at minus one ten for both fighter right now. We're seeing Delima minus one forty, Struve plus one twenty. So uh, you know it's. Uh, I mean, I, I just favor Delima in this one. I mean, Stefan Struve is, as far as I'm, I know, is, is a shot fighter. Um, you know, he's looked really, really average in his last couple of fights. Uh, you know, that fight against Arlovsky was just you know absolutely brutal to sit through. Low output. No, you know, I've said this a lot of time. Low output, low intensity fight where neither guy looks like they wanna they wanna win. Neither guy looks like they're thrown with hard intention. It was just you know uh that wasn't even his most recent fight. He actually he actually lost the same type of fight to uh, Marcin Tabura. I don't even really remember that fight, you know. Uh I mean he was knocked out by Volkov, another tall striker. I just I mean I see Delima in his last fight, he beat a tall guy in with short check. Um, you know, he, he looked decent in that fight. He was able, I think he was able to hit takedowns in that fight. I imagine he'll be doing the same here. You know, Struve, you know, his legs are going to be a problem. You know, he's got those super long legs, um, that it's going to be, you know, and he's, you know, a heavy guy. I'm sure it's going to be hard for him to take down, but you know, I just think that De Lima is, you know, the, the, the physically the better fighter right now. Uh, I just, you know, anybody who's, you know, physically in shape, uh, a fighter, I think could beat Stefan Struve. I think Struve is just so horrible. He hasn't gotten any better in over his entire career, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't really favor, I wouldn't really bet Delima minus 140, maybe. Fight goes the distance plus 190. How the fuck do they, th right now, Stefan Struve inside the distance is plus 152. Like, how? That's insane. I mean, I know, I mean, I, I, I uh, he has finished two opponents, uh, Daniel Omelian Sechuk and Antonio Silva in 2016, but... I mean, I think he has no finishing ability at all left. I mean, who, who knows? I mean, I could I could be totally wrong in this. He could catch uh, Delima. You know, Delima is not a perfect fighter. It doesn't have great defense by any means. So he certainly could catch him. But man, I just I can't trust a dollar on Stefan Struve. The the fight goes to the decision at plus one ninety. I think is good value. And Delima by decision at plus three fifty. I think is is good value too. So, uh, what are you thinking about this shit show, Shuram? Yeah, I think this has bad heavyweight kickboxing fight all over it. I think Stefan Struve, people have just kind of given up on him when they should have given up on him ages ago. Because, uh, you know, people are like, Stefan Struve's going to learn to use it anyone. He just acts like he's five feet tall uh, every time he fights. So I think, um, but past all that, I think you kind of have to have like a bright line for where you fade a guy. That's kind of how I feel with uh, Diego Sanchez against Mickey Gall. Like, yeah, I'll fade Diego Sanchez against anyone good. But I don't think Mickey Gall is that good. And that's kind of how I feel about this. Like, Stefan Struve isn't good, but Marcos Rogerio de Lima is kind of fucking horrible. Um, he got the decision over Adam Wichorek back at, I believe, 2230. 
But uh, Adam Wichorak is also not that good. Uh, best win is over Arjun Buller via submission. I mean, heavyweight omoplata don't happen. So I think it's a um, it's a very bizarre line to favor Marcos Rogero de Lima over Stefan Struve because I think at this point it's we know that Stefan Struve is good at some things. He's not good at many things because you know he's been losing all the time lately. I remember Tabura was able to just lie down on top of him. Arlovsky out wrestled him. Uh, he got soundly outstruck by Andrew Volkov. I mean that's not a big deal. Volkov's good, but I mean Struve just hasn't looked good in a very very long time. That's we do know that he has, you know, some submission. He is long, so it's kind of hard to close the distance on him when he can just leave. And if he decides to, if he realizes that he's like over six feet tall, which he should any day now, um, he might be able to do a little bit better than he has been. Even though I don't think that he'll be able to develop a jab at any point, he won't be able to develop. Any, he won't be able to develop any sort of front kick at any point because he's just too deep into his career. He's just not that good right now. But Marcos Ogiera de Lima is, like, I feel about him at heavyweight, like, even worse than I feel about Jean Volante, because at least I know who Jean Volante is. Marcos Ogiera de Lima is just lumbering and bad. So I think uh, Struve's mission, once that line comes out, since Struve inside the distance is plus 152, I don't guess Struve via submission is somewhere like plus 250 or something like that. Um, I think that would be worth some value, but fight goes the distance is uh, the best bet here, because it's probably just going to go... Uh, shitty heavyweight kickboxing yeah i mean plus 190 man that, that's insane to me uh, it was i bet i bet plus 180 about two hours ago and it's already plus 190 now so who knows but um you know one thing you also gotta consider is Strew's health man he's had a, a plethora of health problems he's had, i think he had heart problems he had fights canceled like the day before the fight or the night of the fight man you always gotta uh you know keep wind of that um you know they were just talking on the fight companion uh uh Brennan Schaub, uh, Brian Callen, Eddie Bravo, Joe Rogan, they were asked, talking about Struve, like, does Struve still fight? They're like, no, he doesn't fight anymore, does he? You know, and funny enough, he's fighting next week, you know, like, those are, you know, real fight fans who were shocked to hear that Struve was still fighting or, you know, still had a career, so, you know, it's 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 tough to see guys on three three fight losing streets still taking fights you know but um who knows uh he could pull off the victory here could shock us all but you know i'm expecting a low output decision but um getting that bad taste out of our mouth between those two fights we got ourselves hell of a main event honestly this main event is just is fireworks these i've been huge fans of both of these guys uh lately we got jan blahovich who is 23 and 7 Taking on Thiago Santos, who is 20 and 6. The opening betting line for this one was Thiago Santos minus 140, Jan Blahovic plus 120. Right now, we see a five dimes, a pick em fight at minus 110, minus 110 for both fighter. We see a pick em across pretty much every book uh, across uh, you know uh, the line on best fight odds. So, you know, we just got a really even fight here. Uh, you know, these guys are just both both really exciting fighters. They both are, uh, you know, have are pretty well-rounded. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll get to breaking it down. Uh, we got Jan Blachowicz, um He's got, you know, we saw him pick up that win against Nikita Krylov in his last fight. Just, you know, beautiful performance. Facing a very dangerous striker in uh, in Krylov. Was that, Krylov was actually the favorite in that fight. And Blachowicz, you know, took him down. 
uh, kept that top pressure and was able to to, ch- to tap him out in that fight. He's he's done that against a, a few good strikers before, you know. Uh, you know, Devin Clark not really too good, but um, you know he he had a, a competitive rematch with Manawa. He won that fight for unanimous decision. Was able to uh, win that fight on the feet and on the floor in that one. You know, Blahovich is just I think he's the more well-rounded fighter out of the two of them. I think he's very good on the feet. He's got a good jab. He's got a good chin. Good defense. And, uh, you know, he's got ability to hit takedowns. He's got uh, ability to keep top control and to, to, hit, to nail submissions. Well, you know, Santos, he, he has a, a decent ground game, but, you know, he's really looking to stay in the bank. He's one of the most exciting guys on the roster. I mean, that's why he's one of my favorite fighters is because every time he goes out there, he's going to fight like a fucking wild man. He's going to throw pow- 110% power. And, you know, in a sport where some where some guys, you know, their their strategy is to throw, you know, 70% all fight to win the fight via decision, it's it's nice to know that there are some guys out there who are throwing 100% from bell to bell. You know, it might it might uh, cost him the fight sometimes. You know, he might gas out. and But, you know, most of the time he's going to produce an electric fight and it's going to end in a knockout for him a lot of the time. He's, you know, we, as we saw in that fight against Jimmy Manoa, man, one of the most exciting fights you could ask for, just six minutes of fucking bombs. You know, Joe Rogan just said it. He, man, these guys are throwing full power into every shot, and you could you could tell. Um, but Santos was, you know, robbled in that fight. He was put in some bad spots, but was able to overcome that and eventually get the finish himself. But, you know, uh, you know that fight was good. But the fight you got to look at, I think, is the fight against Eric Anders for Thiago Santos. Despite me, you know, uh, loving this guy a lot, man, that, that Anders fight was worrisome. He was taken to uh, – Anders uh, took that fight on short notice. He moved up a weight class. He moved up a weight class 20 pounds. So we, you, know, you had a true middleweight taking on a guy – uh, a true light heavyweight on short notice and and Anders you know put him in some bad spots he was able to take him down a few times he was able to take his back um, and you know that is super worrisome you know Anders was able to take Santos's back in the third round Anders was gassed by the second and he was still able to go out there take him down and take his back in the third so if, if Anders is able to do that, I certainly think the Blahovich will be able to do that. It's just a matter if, you know, Santos is able to end this fight on the feet before Blahovich gets him a hold of him on the ground because, you know, Santos is, you know, he's got decent defense on the ground, but I think he really relies on power. He relies on, um, you know, I think I was saying this about Ankalev earlier, you know, he, or he sometimes he'll be put in a bad spot on the ground, but he'll just use power to get out of there. You know, he does have some technique, like he will go for like a judo throw or, you know, a, a, a jiu-jitsu sweep from time to time, but a lot of the times he'll just power out of positions on the ground, but I don't think he'll be able to do that against Blahovich. I think if he does that against Jan, that he, there's a good chance he gets submitted. So, you know, if this fight stays on the feet, I favor Santos. I, I favor, you know, turning it into a power a fight where, you know, he could test that chin of Blahovich. But if this fight ends up on the floor, I favor Blahovich. I, I favor him, you know, winning rounds, possibly getting a, a, a submission in the maybe third, fourth, or fifth round via submission. Um... So man, it's just going to be a really good fight. I, you know, both of these guys are in their prime right now. I honestly think this is a number one contender fight at at late heavyweight. I think both of these guys deserve a title shot more than Anthony Smith right now. So it's a shame that they're not in that same position. Um, but you know, this I think will determine the next uh, clear contender at two hundred five, and I, I just can't wait for this fight. So, uh, what are you thinking about this matchup, Sriram? Uh, I, I don't think John Blahovich is a particularly committed wrestler. I think I believe in the Krilov fight, 
Krilov took him down first, and then Blahowicz swept, and then just realized that Krilov was absolute dog shit from the bottom. So I think this fight takes place on the feet, and I do think Blahowicz beats Santos on the feet. I think Santos gets a bit of a, like, he's pretty good on the feet. He's not technically the best, though. Um, like, he can mix up the, uh, the target of his kicks to set up head kicks with body kicks like he did with uh, Bossy. He can deal damage to the legs like he did with Branch before Branch set him on fire. Uh, but and you have... Uh, He's a very limited fighter. He's not a good boxer. And I think Jean Blahowicz's approach only only fails when A, you can take him down, or B, you can counterpunch him. And there aren't too many good counterpunchers at light heavyweight. Thiago Santos is definitely not one of them. Uh, Jean Blahowicz's approach on the feet is kind of like he's offensively most potent when he's just running forward with blitzes. And that actually gave Gustafsson some trouble because Gustafsson, um, he couldn't, you know, really do anything off the back foot because he never can. And he couldn't counterpunch Blahowicz coming in, so Blahowicz just ran face first into him over and over and just punched him up. But I think Santos kind of gets trouble the same way, and Blahowicz has actually improved since because now he actually has a jab. Uh, he can work on the counter. I mean, his uh, Blahowicz's jab isn't particularly versatile, but I think it's good enough to needle Santos to you know kind of attack without committing too much, attack from um, a shorter from the kicks but a longer range than Santos. Uh, swinging wildly with his hands. I think Blahowicz, um can get into the pocket, outbox Santos, and maybe get a late TKO. I don't think it goes to the ground because Blahowicz doesn't generally do that. Um, and, you know, it's it's a fun fight. I think Thiago Santos is um, is kind of sad how, he's, um, how his career has gone since uh, the Smith fight. I mean, it's not, like, sad, sad, but, uh, you know, he beat a guy. The guy goes up to light heavyweight, gets two really easy fights, um, gets the shit kicked out of him by Volkan Ozdemir and gets a fight against John Jones. So Santos gets destroyed by David Branch, uh, gets better wins, in my opinion. I mean, I don't think current Ozdemir is a better win than current Manoa, because that win was, uh, Ozdemir's win over Manoa was just shit. But yeah, I think beating Manoa the way Santos beat him, as messy as it was, is more impressive than getting beaten up by Ozdemir until he gassed. Uh, but, you know, now he has to face a tougher guy than Santos has ever faced at light heavyweight to get a title shot that Smith has gotten uh, with relative ease. So, I mean, I'd like to see Santos win this because he's big and violent, and that's pretty much the only way that I think anyone at light heavyweight uh, besides Reyes has a chance at beating John Jones. But I think Jean Blahowicz has um, the advantage when it comes to being a slick striker, when it comes to being... Um, I mean, he's not that slick, but Santos is just thoroughly raw. I think Blahowicz has the advantage in uh, technique, as much as that means. Yeah, um, Thiago Santos, you know, I think he did, despite, uh, you know, me saying that he got taken out in that Anders fight, he did fight a little differently in that fight. Um, you know, in the, he knew it was five rounds. He knew he had to conserve his gas tank, and he definitely fought a little more conservative. But when he went to fight Jimmy Manoa, man, he went balls to the wall. And, uh, you know, those fight. I mean, he trained for that fight. It was late September when he fought Anders. He must have known that his cardio was on. He probably just kept training right after that Anders fight. He didn't take too much damage in that fight. And he probably just was so confident in his cardio in that Manoa fight that he knew he was just going to, he was able to throw heat for 15 minutes straight. So, you know, look, you know, he, I think he is best when he's throwing that, that, that sheer power. But, you know, he might not be able to do that in this fight because it's five rounds. But. It really just depends on how he fight, comes out to fight. If he fights smart and, uh, you know, tries to win a fight via decision, I, I, I do favor Blahovich. I think Blahovich will out-jab him and be the more technical fighter. But, you know, if 
Santos wants to make this fight a brawl like he typically does and, and just goes balls to the wall from the jump, man. I, I like his chances at, you know, testing that chin and getting the finish early. But um, like you said, the longer it goes, I favor Blahovich more and possibly getting the late finish or, you know, winning the decision on the card. So Blahovich decision, man, is like plus 488 or something like that. Not bad, man. Um, so... Um, that is the card from Prague going down this Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. The main card starts at 2 p.m. The prelims start at, uh, I think, 11 a.m. So um, you can uh, catch that card this Saturday. And just to end the podcast, uh, we are going to, uh, as always, recap the fights from last week. We're just going to breeze through these fights, uh, just mention them, uh, you know, summarize and what happened in them real quick. So we are rewinding to Phoenix, Arizona this past Sunday night. Now on the, the UFC's debut on ESPN, uh, first fight, Emily Whitmire uh, takes down uh, Alexander Albu. Alexander Albu has no jiu-jitsu, no anything, and just tries to stand up recklessly and gets submitted. A pretty hilarious effort from Al- Albu in that one, and, uh, you know, I guess a decent win from Whitmire, but... Yeah, I have no take here. <laughs> yeah, just, it was, it I was bet on fight goes the di- I bet on fight goes the distance, it didn't... Uh, it's a shame. I bet on Albu right before, dude. I felt like such a fucking idiot. But um, I redeem myself in the next fight. I, I bet, uh, I think, two uni- two or three units on Luke Sanders. Um, and, uh, you know, he came out. Hen and Brow came out there. I went in the first round. I was surprised Brow didn't finish Sanders. He landed, it seemed like, ten hard body shots. Uh, in the first round, and Sanders, you know, adjusted, listened to his corner, came out there, started landing punches, and then finished Brow with one of the most brutal knockouts I've ever seen. Honestly, it was just sad to see that knockout, man. Uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, Brow did a good job in the first round. I think he got a 10-8 that round because Sanders did nothing. He got staggered by a right hand. He got his body ripped apart. Uh, so you know, it was kind of obvious that Brow was going to gas out at some point, and then Sanders just came out. And- him. So it's really sad to see how Boral fell. He used to be very, very good. It's just kind of a Roy Jones type of fall where his athleticism couldn't carry him any. Yeah, and you know, it, it, please don't give that guy any more fights, please. Um, that BJ Penn stuff. Yes, or ma- match them against one another at 145. There you go. So one of them uh. has to get a win. Uh, next fight, a very competitive fight. It's Nick Lenz versus Scott Holtzman. Um, what was going to say? We were we were discussing this fight as it was happening live, discussing the scoring of the rounds. Personally, I thought Scott Holtzman um, won rounds two and three. You know, uh, you thought that Lentz won round one, 10 8, and then I think Holtzman won two and three for the draw. I thought Holtzman won two rounds to one, but ultimately the judge is giving Nick Lentz rounds one and three. You know, it's just, you know, round three is just a round where he was on top and he didn't do anything and won the round purely based on the fact that he was on top. I mean, he was sitting in in the lap of Scott Holtzman, and Scott Holtzman was just punching him in the face with those, those short right hands on the ground. And I'm telling you, those those couple you know shovel punches or whatever they were in the clinch there were the hardest shots of the round I think. Um, who knows though? It was a competitive fight. You know they were both grueling. It was a grueling decision. So I mean I can't be too. I mean the reason I'm upset about it is because I bet on Scott Holzman as like plus two or three hundred or something like that after rounds two and three. I thought the fight was close. So um, you know a little bit of upset there, but still a good fight. Yeah, I mean, I tend to give 10-8s a little bit more generously, and Scott Holtzman did nothing the first round. So, I mean, I thought it was a draw, but I, I'm going to have to rewatch it to actually gain any sort of 
real impression. I thought Holtzman looked too good against Patrick to look this kind of mediocre against Hans, but, you know, out of performed out of the skin just to destroy my parlay at UFC 229. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, I think that that might be like an outlier performance for his whole career, possibly looking back at it. But who knows? Um, Nick Lentz is, you know, very good on the ground, and he wasn't just not as able to have as I don't know. Scott Holzman didn't have as much success at all as he did in the Patrick fight, but. We got Andrew Lee running over Ashley Evan Smith. Just a awful effort from Ashley Evan Smith. Thirty twenty seven. You know Lee didn't look world beater, but you know she won very very comfortably. Um, I think that she will be you know minus three hundred and whoever her next fight is. Uh, hopefully they give her somebody good. Yeah, I thought Lee looked very good. Like for women's MMA, she looked like something approaching a world beater. Um, Ashley Evan Smith though didn't really like Ashley Evan Smith helped that by being just absolutely glacially slow and just plodding towards Lee at every opportunity. Uh, you know Lee just kind of destroyed her body, boxed her up. Um, yeah, it was it was easy work for Andrea Lee. Um, I'm looking forward to her fights more than I look to the average women's MMA fight. Yeah, she's very well rounded. Um... Next fight, we had Manny Bermudez get the submission guillotine choke on Benito Lopez. You know, just very impressive grappling from Bermudez in this one, despite him missing weight. Uh, you know, this was, you know, a lot of people thought this fight was going to be competitive. Lopez had a chance to hurt uh, Bermudez on the feet. You know, it was a grappler versus striker matchup, but ultimately, the grappler executed the game plan, taking his opponent down and, you know, transitioning from a few submissions. I think he went like darts to guillotine or something like that. And ended up getting, a, you know, a really nice choke from Bermudez in there. So, I'm looking forward to seeing his uh, submission skills uh, moving up through the levels of competition in the UFC. Uh, yeah, I think um, Manny Bermudez looked very good. It was sort of a snap down uh, from the clinch. And then he hit, He ended up in, like, a weird crucifix position where he landed a no-arm. A guillotine, basically, but he switched the grip to a darts-type grip. I think Manny Bermudez is pretty promising. Um, he's not... Feet, but he looked like a good wrestler against Benito Lopez, so at least he has some sort of way to make his shit work. Um, yeah, I don't think Benito Lopez is horrible, but I'm kind of overpowered here. Uh, next fight we had Aljamain Sterling defeat Jimmy Rivera via decision. You know, just um, not a you know a bell to bell beating by Sterling, but he beat Rivera pretty uh, decisively. You know, he looked very very good. I think he stumbled Rivera. In, uh, in this fight, you know, Rivera gets hurt in a lot of his fights, though. Um, but Aljamain, you know, his boxing really looks good. His his kicks, you know, are always on point. His wrestling is great. Um, and, you know, his you know his sub is good, too. So, I mean, he I think he really broke into the top five in this fight. And uh, great performance from Sterling. I mean, I didn't really think Sterling looked any better than normal. I just think Rivera looked absolutely dreadful. I think Sterling put together a pretty decent performance. Uh, it wasn't really a good boxing performance, but Rivera was stuck up against the fence a few times, and Sterling just, you know, kind of picked at him with kicks and jabs and stuff. And Sterling uh, kind of threw Rivera game with the early wrestling. Rivera in his corner said, "I feel off." So it was just a, it was disappointing from Rivera more than it was impressive from Sterling, in my opinion. Uh, but you know, Sterling can get a step up in competition now, and we'll see how he does. And. In the main car, we had a featherweight fight, great fight between Andre Feely defeating Miles Jurley by decision. I think it was like a two round to one decision for for Feely. You know, these guys were just both their jabs were on point. I think Feely's had the better jab. You know, round one was busting Jury up, 
Jury adjusted a little bit in round two, but then Feely went on to win uh, round three. I think Jury actually had Feely pretty hurt at the end of round two. Made the fight 1-1 going into the third, but uh, Feely dug deep and got that third round in his pocket and got the uh, the unanimous decision win. So, you know, really nice performance from Feely, man. Again, I think he really broke in, you know, into the top 10 in this performance and proved that he is, you know, a legit contender at 45. And he's improving a lot. Um, so, uh, you know, looking forward to his next fight as well. <clears throat> yeah, Feely looked decent. Um, it was mostly just a jabbing match at range. Uh, jury, it's kind of disturbing how both Jury and Rivera just showed zero urgency in both of their fights. Um, jury landed the spinning backfist in round two to hurt Philly badly and then just didn't pour it on. He hurt Philly badly at the end of round one, too, I believe, where Philly did like this really obvious wobble. But oh, overall, right, right. thanks to just pure volume, um, I don't really think he has you know a great amount of upside, but it was a good performance. Yeah, I mean, I thought Rivera and Jury were great favorite prices going into both of these fights, and then both of them looked super underwhelming. So, you know, who, who knows what that has to say. But next fight, uh, you know, crazy war between Vincente Luque and Bar Brian Barberina. Um, we had Barberina hurt Luque in round one. Uh, you know, Luque ended up going for a submission at the end of round one, and then Barberina finished on top. You know, a really crazy back-and-forth round. I think Luque uh, might have won the... Actually, you know what? I mean, I might be wrong. I, I th that that Luque had some pretty close sub attempts in round one. I think. Do you remember who won which rounds? I think I think yeah, Luque I won one ra round one. Barb won round two. I, don't I had Luque up two, but I know people said Barberina won round two. Uh, Luque definitely won round one. He pretty much beat the shit out of Barberina for the entire round. Uh, got knocked down and then almost choked out Barberina twice in 30 seconds. So I think um, I think Luque was up two, but one of the judges had Barberina up two, which is just straight up silly. Luque was on his way to losing the third round, and then he just, you know, kneed the crap out of Barberina and won the fight. Uh, yeah, Luque in the rankings now. He's in at number four. And, uh, yeah, put him up against Neil Magny for the golden ticket to the top ten. Yeah, I mean, I bet I was betting on Bar Barbarina live, and, uh, you know, it was a little upsetting, you know, obviously that it didn't come through. He was plus 130 after the after the second round. I mean, he, he was well on his way to winning that third round, too, like you said, and he just couldn't keep it up for the last 30 seconds. If he won that last 30 seconds, I think he would have won the fight on the scorecards. Like you said, I think one judge had him uh, winning two rounds to zero somehow, so... Um, you know, it was a really close fight, um, and uh, ultimately, Luque digging deep and getting that finish late, it was pretty impressive. Um, so, in moving on, next fight, the debut of Crone Gracie, you know, masterful performance from Gracie, got a hold of Caceres, avoided all, uh, most of the striking, there was a few striking exchanges, he didn't look too uncomfortable, didn't really get hit with anything too bad either, was able to uh, tie Caceres up, take him down, get the back, and choke him out. Um, you know, just Caceres, he looked every bit as dominant as everybody expected him to in there. You know, I mean, I honestly thought Caceres would put up a little bit more of a fight. I thought he would scramble out of a few uh, submissions and then get submitted after a few attempts. But, man, the second Krohn got a hold of him, uh, he had his number on Caceres eventually getting the submission. I mean, no surprise, you know, an ADCC, you know, gold medalist versus, you know, uh, you know, uh, an upper, uh, an average level UFC jiu-jitsu fighter. So no surprise there. Just great performance from Gracie. It's just now, how fast do you move this guy up? Who do you give him in his next fight? Is the real question. I mean, I thought Crone Gracie looked pretty good. I remember he hurt Caceres pretty badly with a shot in the pocket. 
And the way he got the fight to the ground was actually pretty interesting, too. He had a sort of back body lock. He put one hook in, and then he pushed off the cage, it looked like, to um, drag Caceres to the ground, take his back, get the RNC. So I think Crone Gracie has some promise moving forward. He showed reasonably powerful hands, I guess, to beat Caceres in the pocket. It's just um, beating Caceres doesn't mean a whole lot. So um, give him someone else who's marginally more difficult at Featherweight. Featherweight's too deep to, you know, give Gracie too much of a step up at this point. But it, it was a good one. It was about as impressive as it could have been. And next fight, you know, really underwhelming fight, just super boring. Cynthia Calvillo, Courtney Casey decision Calvillo's way. I mean, I was just so frustrated at fucking Cynthia Calvillo. Courtney Casey's got some of the worst takedown defense and worst, you know, ground game in the division. And, you know, Calvillo's got some of the best ground game in the division. I, I have no idea why Calvillo didn't take this fight to the floor. Obviously, I bet on Calvillo by submission. Um, but, you know, it's just it was just so frustrating. It was a low-output decision. I, I honestly thought Courtney Casey had a chance at winning it. Uh, I think it might have been 1-1 after the, the first two. I, but I didn't even care enough to score it. It was just so boring. Yeah, this isn't a fight that I can really say much about. Uh, Casey's bad. Calvillo's marginally better, but also not that good. Uh, Calvillo, I believe she lost to Calderwood, but then the decision went her way for some reason. It's just... It was an overall bad fight that I'm pretty sure everyone knew going in wasn't going to be a good fight, and they still put it on the main card for some reason. So you know. Yeah, above Crone Gracie. I mean, I, I I don't understand that that thinking, but nevertheless, um, in the co-main event we had Paul Felder, James Vick, Paul Felder getting the decision in that one. You know, pretty pretty good competitive fight. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, Paul Felder ultimately did the better work throughout the fight. That's why he won the decision. But Vic was certainly hurting him from time to time. You know, Felder's leg kicks were on point. He was really hurting Vic with that, uh, that, that leg kick. He almost, uh, finished him in the third round with that leg kick, actually. But, um, you know, Felder just showed how tough he is. Um, you know, uh, I mean, Vic is just... You know he's he's declining, man. It's you know he's lost now losing two fights in a row. He was you know at one point uh, he was like seven and one in the UFC or something like that. Now he's seven and three, uh, dropping two fights in a row. So um, you know impressive win from Paul Felder though. A lot of people didn't think he'd be able to win the fight via decision, but he got it done. Yeah, I was big on Vic in this fight. I thought Felder wasn't particularly good again. Really have to close distance on him, but then Felder actually put a little bit of pressure on Vic. And, uh, you know, beat him up. So I think uh, Vic is a lot worse than I expected, especially against a guy who can low kick him. Because Vic um, Vic has a good jab, but he doesn't really set anything else up with anything other than the jab, if that makes sense. Like, the jab is pretty much all he leads with um, in all of his effective offensive um, efforts. So I think Felder leg kicking him a lot kind of killed that. And Vic just had nothing to turn to and just got battered for the rest of the fight. Felder suffered from a collapsed lung in this fight and uh, his poker face through it for the third round. So that's impressive. I don't really know where Felder goes from here. Uh, I mean, obviously he's ranked because Vic was number 10 at the time. But I'm not sure how um, I'd cap him against uh, the guys above him in the ranking. Yeah, it's... Uh... You know, his ceiling might be already set, but he's still certainly going to be an entertaining fighter out there every single time. So, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, Iaquinta might be a, st a step down. Uh, Felder might be a step down for Iaquinta, but that screams great matchup right now. I think that fight was actually supposed to happen before. Yeah, it's um, supposed to happen like twice. Yeah, so let's get that booked, honestly, if Iaquinta isn't doing anything. 
Um, and in the main event, the return of Cain Velasquez stopped short by a nice uppercut from Francis Ngannou in the clinch. Eventually, given, you know, making Kane's knees go out and, you know, it looked like Kane suffered a knee injury at the finish there. But I, I think Kane was coming into this fight injured. I speculated it on Reddit. I said, you know, I posted this video of Kane uh, Velasquez hitting pads where he, he, he slips and his knee looks like it buckles a little bit. And, you know, uh, I had a lot of people, 50, 70 people, something like that, telling me I was wrong, telling me I was... Uh, you know, I was, you know, it was just a slip and it was no big deal. And, you know, you've never slipped like that before. Uh, you know, I had I actually wrote something and said, like, I, I, I've trained for years and I've never slipped like this. And all these people were like, that's laughable. That's one of the funniest things, the mo the dumbest things I've ever seen on this subreddit. And, um, you know, sure enough, he, he goes goes looking for that takedown right as the fight starts. But right when he does, man, he looks, he looks awkward. He's bending over weird for his like he used to blast takedowns he used to be quick powerful shooting in but man he looked awkward he looked like he was you know bending over to pick up the newspaper like an old man uh, in the, in this driveway or something like that and he he got a hold of Nagano's legs for a second but man I think I think the second he shot for the takedown his knees were, were already buckling a little bit he looked off balance he looked desperate for the takedown and then Nagano hit him with a, a short uppercut that, that sent Kane's ba uh, balance really off, and then he landed on those knees, bow-legged or, you know, however he landed, and really tore up his knees. It looked like, you know, pretty brutal finish. I hope his knees, I hope there's not too much damage to his knees. You know, they've already suffered a lot of damage. But, uh, you know, what did you think about the finish? Did you think that, you know, the, the prior, he had any prior knee injuries, or did you think that it was just uh, straight, the, the, the uppercut caused everything? I mean, I don't really know if we can tell by the finish because, I mean, like, Krokop didn't have any prior leg injuries before he got head kicked by Gonzaga and, you know, did the Krokop. So I think it was, the finish was almost certainly a result of the blow by Nganu, and Nganu showed shocking power, just landing, like, it was an upgrade, like, right next to his chest, and Velasquez just buckled immediately. Like, not because of the knee, but because he was, like, out cold. Um, yeah, I think the, it was always going to be the dynamic of the fight that Velasquez was either going to get cracked coming he was going to wrestle the shit out of Nganu. And I think um, it was kind of the same dynamic as the Blades fight, right? And I think I called both of those correctly just because neither Blades nor Velasquez has real systematic defense. And that's the only thing that saved Stipe Miocic from, you know, actually getting to against Nganu in the first minute of the fight. So uh, I think Nganu is relatively hard to beat at heavyweight just because you can't really expect anything conventional from him. He can just sort of swing random weird shots that shouldn't have any power and knock guys senseless. So, I mean, I think we saw enough of the matchup to say this is how the matchup could have gone regardless of whether Velasquez, uh, his knee was held together by tape and prayer or whether it was healthy. Yeah, and... Uh... Even, you know, right after the fight happened, a lot of people thought it was the knee. They're like, oh, no punches even landed. It was just the knee. I mean, it was certainly the punch. I'm not saying that, you know, the the knee that I, I saw uh, was, you know, the, the end-all, be-all of the fight. But right away, I had people replying to me on Reddit, you know, saying, like, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry for, you know, talking all that shit. Uh, you know, one guy was like, ah, I forget who it was, but I owe you an apology. Sorry for downvoting you to oblivion. And then I go back and I check the other post. 
and you know you know people were you know say, uh, saying i was you know mystic mac and what all you know it was a very vindicated moment um uh, but i just you know plugged uh, martian mma i wasn't trying to brag too much like i said it's not like i picked you know it's not like that was the end all be all of the fight the uppercut certainly had a lot to do with it but i i do believe that the king was coming to that fight far from 100 percent you know and uh you know it was just sad to see him go out like that but um shout out to all the people on reddit who uh maybe you're listening to this episode uh after that little moment that was a fun moment so um you know francis and Ghana, man it's hard to see uh you know i it's hard to see, you know there's a huge blockade at heavyweight right now you know you got dc who you know is, is is very selective in who he wants to fight you know he could fight john jones at heavyweight he could fight brock lesnar at heavyweight he could rematch steepy at heavyweight and now it seems like he could fight nagano at heavyweight i'm, I'm pretty sure nagano de- deserves a title shot uh at heavyweight but i mean you know if 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 uh dc keeps sitting on the sidelines and you know waiting for that brock fight or waiting for that jbj fight do you make steepy versus nagano too do you, do you possibly do that for maybe in the uh, title? I don't. I think Stipe deserves the rematch, not only because he was the longest reigning heavyweight champion of all time, but because the win that DC got over Stipe was tremendously questionable. Uh, the eye poke was vicious. It was, it was, it's gone pretty much forgotten just because people are like, oh yeah, Stipe eye poke DC too. But, you know, Stipe was framing off a knee while DC was had his fingers in Stipe's face for the entire fight. In my opinion, that's a tainted win, and uh, it needs to be rematched regardless of whether Stipe uh, Ipe, that is to say, the champion that he was, or whether it was Cody Garbrandt getting eye poked by T.J. Dillashaw. Like, regardless of how many defenses the guy has, uh, that win needs to be run back, in my opinion. So, I don't think Stipe needs to fight Ngannou again. He already beat Ngannou once. I think he'd do it again, but that's not really relevant. He shouldn't have to fight him again. But will will Stipe get the rematch against DC though? Yeah, I'll, I'll I'd pick Stipe over DC in a rematch. But, but no, uh, but, will he get the opportunity? Oh no, he won't. He almost certainly won't. DC's- yeah. Like it's. I mean, it's it's certainly not right. But the UFC doesn't really operate on what's you know right, especially when it comes to title shots. I think that's probably you know sometimes they do the right thing. You know, when a fighter misses weight, they'll pay them, or you know, a kid uh, with you know make a wish or something like that. They'll they'll, they'll do the right thing. They're, they're, they do uh, things you know sometimes by the book or you know the moral thing to do but when it comes to title shots man it, it's like there's there's no criteria there's no you know guidelines there's no respect there's no deserving anything you know we, we you're talking about with anthony smith man that's that's insane that he got the title shot you know you want to get jayjack getting a title shot being a you know one and two in her last three fights um you know, it's it's you know the super fight yes. epidemic. You know, uh, every single every single right. division wants super fights. You know, it's Colby Covington getting screwed out of his interim title, Tony Ferguson getting screwed out of his interim title, Dustin Poirier having a you know a huge win streak just sitting on the sidelines. You know, it, the the UFC's title is is a mess right now, and you know, I I, I think that uh I think that Stipe you know, should have gotten that rematch at maybe UFC 230. The fact that DC fought somebody else was kind of laughable. Um, but, you know, I think that ship has now sailed, and you got to start thinking about realistic possibilities of what's going to happen to heavyweight. But it, it's 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 almost like we don't know. It doesn't matter what fans want. It doesn't matter what the UFC wants. It matters what Brock Lesnar wants and what matters what John Jones wants because despite Nagano and Stipe deserving that title shot more, those uh, Brock Lesnar and J- John Jones have 
oh, easy access to it. If, if Brock Lesnar says, yo, Dana, I'm ready for July, book it. He's like, okay, Stipe, sorry, buddies, we got Lesnar coming in. We got the guy to save the day. Um, which is, I mean, he's in the USADA testing pool. He's, you know, he that's a very realistic possibility. Um, who knows, though? Brock yeah. Lesnar is, is a master of foolery, of trickery. He could just be, like, the guy is so smart, he could be in this USADA testing pool just to get more money from Vince McMahon. That's the way he does things, you know? He's like, oh, Vince, you're going to give me, you know, a million dollars in match? He goes, all right, now how about I go over to, to talk to Dana White? Dana White posts a picture with with Brock, and then Vince is like, oh, I'll give you $2 million a match. I'll, I'll give it whatever you want, Brock, whatever you want, Brock, come back. And then he goes, then Brock goes back to Dana and goes, oh, well, Vince is giving me $2 million. And then Dana's like, I'll give you $3 million. You know, he's a genius. Um, but what were you going to say? I mean, I'm, it's actually kind of shocking that people want to see DC Jones 3 because I think Jones has pretty much proven that he's better than DC and a stylistic nightmare for DC. Uh, I think you're mostly right that if Brock Lesnar wants DC, he's going to get DC and DC is not going to say anything about it because he wants Brock as well. It's just, like, I can't really talk shit about that at heavyweight because there's only one real contender at this point. Nganu's lost to Stipe, Blades and Kane have lost to Nganu, uh, Volkov lost to Lewis, who already lost to Cormier. Heavyweight's just really, really bad at this point, and it's understandable that they're going to screw over Stipe. It's just, you know, it sucks for Stipe. It sucks for people who want to see the best fight the best. Uh, I think is a pretty virtual lock for... Um, heavyweight champion once DC retires. It's just DC's never going to give Stipe a chance to redeem that loss. So, so despite your fandom for Stipe, do you think that Stipe should be ranked ahead of Nagano right now, despite Nagano picking up two? Oh, 100%. You think? It's been, like, it's been one year since that fight. It's... Yeah, but but since, but since that fight happened, Stipe has gone 0-1 and Nagano has gone 2-1. I mean... I'm, I'm gonna call that a no contest because no, that, come on, you can't, you can't do that. I am. That, that's it, what I'm gonna, like I said, it, you know, every fight, every fight has has, you know, if every fight with a foul in it had a no contest, there, uh, you know, I mean, could, there's a there's a difference between a foul and there's a different there's a difference between a foul and DC a violating the sanctity of Miocic's eyeball and B threatening to do the same thing basically every time Miocic tried to swing, but. Why, why don't you think Stipe made a big... I'm not going to treat big... that as a legitimate loss because I'm not going to treat that as a legitimate win for... Um, how for long Dan How long did Stipe... You know how they give you the five-minute break for the eye poke or whatever. How long did Stipe take before he got right back into the fight? I mean, in general, if you look at, for example, the Charles Oliveira versus David Tamer fight, fighters don't tend to take, even if they're severely hurt by an eye poke, more than two minutes. And the reason is that they train for five-minute rounds without a long break in the middle. It's going to fuck their cardio, especially at heavyweight. It's going to fuck, you know, their headspace. So I don't think that's really a good metric. And you can kind of look at, I mean, even if you look at the fight, Stipe was doing very well defensively before the eye poke, and then he got tagged up after the eye poke. So I think it's really unreal. I think it's unreasonable to rank Nganu above Stipe because Nganu beat two guys without showing any sort of notable improvement. If Nganu beat someone like, uh, I don't know, if, okay, so if Nganu, even if he beat... Blades and uh, Velasquez while showing real improvement in his skill set, I think I'd be like, yeah, okay, you can rank him above Stipe because he might beat Stipe now. But no, he's the same fighter as he was when he lost to Stipe. Well, still I mean, if he if he stuff if he stuffed shots and won twenty five minute decisions over Blades and and St uh, Velasquez, then he would deserve the shot, no doubt. 
But I mean, exactly. the fact that he's you know just gone out there and sparked people in thirty seconds, you know, it might you know for for the casual viewer, it's good. But you know, for 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 real fans who know who want to see improvements and actual you know stuff like that, it's not good. I mean, it's certainly an improvement from the Lewis fight when the dude was afraid to throw punches. But it's we haven't seen his wrestling at all since he was you know uh, taken down and controlled. So that is. I guess the way point. I see it is, regardless of how Ngannou would have beaten Velasquez or Blades. I don't know if I would have him 100% over Stipe Miocic because the win was just too recent. I mean, in uh, like it's been one year, Ram, and in that one year, Ngannou hasn't made any sort of real improvement. And even if he did, he hasn't made that improvement against someone who's even remotely comparable to Stipe Miocic. He hasn't faced anyone who has real noteworthy defense. He hasn't faced anyone who has real noteworthy boxing. Well, they're comparable. Kane and Stipe are certainly comparable. They're, I don't think so. Not in boxing. No way. Not Come on. They're, but yeah, but they're 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 the top three UFC heavyweights of all time. I'm not you know, sure actually. Verdum, have, Verdum King, okay. and Stipe probably. Nah, I go. Okay, so I might go Stipe Verdum, and I in pure skill, I'd probably go over him over Velasquez. No way. Come on. Velasquez beat the same two people over and over in the UFC in his prime, and then he lost to Verdum. Yeah, well, but that wasn't his fault. I mean, those guys. There, it the wasn't his fault, but that doesn't mean they have to small. give him credit for. Beating a bunch of well, other heavy- well, he he ran through Lesnar easily. Bet yeah, know. Lesnar's an amazing win over him. Killed Lesnar too. Yeah, um, but I, I, to be honest, you know, I, I mean, when you do you think who do you think had more steroids charged up in their system at the time, Uber Uberim or or Kane? I mean, I'm not saying I mean, Kane, I'm not saying I'm not saying Kane was clean, but I'm saying that 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 fucking uh, Reem had a little bit more uh, assistance behind the win. I mean, I just don't think that's relevant, to be honest. I mean, you can look at those fights and say Cain Velasquez is definitely better than Alistair Overeem, or you can say both of them kicked the absolute fuck. Well, well, what about TRT, TRT Bigfoot? Big Cain uh, Velasquez, like, literally donated, like, a pint or uh, a quart of blood from TRT. Yeah, uh, the, Bigfoot, the Bigfoot win for Kane was good. The Bigfoot wins, rather. And the Bigfoot loss was horrible for Overeem. But on the other hand, you also have Overeem with a far broader heavyweight resume. So I think I would give Overeem the edge over Velasquez. And if the two of them fought Velasquez versus Overeem, I would definitely pick Overeem. Hmm, but, I don't know. It depends what year. It depends what year. Uh, yeah, that's fair. 2000, 2012, I mean, it would have been a hell of a fucking matchup. It's almost a, a I, goddamn sin that we didn't get that fight. I mean... If both of them are close to their prime, I definitely pick Overeem. Today's Overeem, who got wrestle fucked by Blades, I'm not sure. Mm. But the Overeem who faced like Mark Hunt in 2016, I think he gives Velasquez a beating. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, it's 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 certainly close, but I mean, a two. Uh, I mean, 2013, 2012, Kane, man. I think that that guy was up there with you know 2004 Fedor and you know 2000 and. Uh, Fifteen. I mean, I think the the best heavyweights we've ever seen are you know Fedor in the mid two thousands, um, Kane in the early two thousand tens, and then um, Verdum probably in like maybe you know the the mid two thousand tens as well when he tapped. I put uh, Miocic over all three of them. <laughs> I don't. Know. I mean, I, it's it's tough to say because I, I, honestly, I think Verdum is the better heavyweight than than Stipe, even though. Oh no! Stipe, no way. No, but I mean, all right. Well, I think I mean I don't know. It, it, it's 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 hard to say. It's hard to it's hard to say fighters are better than the other when ones beat them. You know, I mean I go both way with it. it goes both way with this. I mean I I would probably say that Holloway is the better featherweight than Aldo is, but I would probably Overall? say 
uh, yeah, I mean, in skill, I'm not uh, saying they. I wouldn't say he's. Oh, the, okay. I wouldn't say he's had the better featherweight career. I would say he's yeah, the better that's fair, fighter. Actually. That's fair. S- same thing. Same thing with uh, with Verdum. I wouldn't say necessarily he's had, you know, a better. Uh, cur- uh, I mean, I, I just think I'm his just, skills are better. I mean, obviously, you don't have to. I mean, there's clear advantages on the ground for uh, for Verdum. But man, dude, the way Verdum beat Cain Velasquez and he outs and he knocked out Mark Hunt and he's, you know, he's he's his striking is incredible for, a, I mean, for especially I think, for a jujitsu guy. I mean, I think the the way I look at it is Verdum has had a great career and I prob I definitely put him all time over Velasquez. I put. Fedor, I put Miocic, Fedor, and Verdum over Velasquez all time, but I think Stipe Miocic is a better fighter than Fabricio Verdum, and I think he's a greater fighter than Fabricio Verdum. I think Verdum's striking is good, but for the most part, it's kind of that, um, like, it's kind of like, uh, what's his name? It's like that uh, Cordero thing, where they just run forward throwing one-twos, and it works because heavyweights can't really deal with it, but Stipe could. I think is a better boxer. I think uh, Verdum's he might be the better kicker, but I don't think either is a particularly good kicker. Stipe is the better wrestler by far, and Verdum's a better grappler, but he can't get there because his wrestling's not great. I think I don't really see an argument for saying that Verdum is the better fighter or the greater fighter, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's you know, I mean, it comes down to how you view, you know, the better fighter. You, know, you can look at pound for pound two ways, and it's, you know, who has the better overall, you know, striking, gra- uh, grappling, wrestling, all that, or who will do better throughout the weight classes. You know, there's that that classic debate. I mean, I I typically tend to think of who has the better skills. I mean, I think it's kind of arbitrary to think, like, well, what if Jose Aldo and Cain Velasquez fought at heavyweight or something? Like, who would win? I mean, I think that's almost incomparable. Like, that's not what pound for pound... <laughs> I don't know, though. It, it, I think it, that's exactly what pounds for pounds means, just in the sense that if you're going to compare fighters across weight classes, then you kind of need to say, well, what if um, like, what if they were all at one weight class? All of their skills were exactly the same as they are now, but like, um, their physical attributes are put, are like scaled against each other relative to how they were to their weight class. Like, it's kind of hard. Like it is, yeah, it is hard because the guys guys at heavyweight and guys at flyweight, like there's two different types of fights, you know? Yeah, but I'd say flyweights are overall more skilled than heavyweights for the most yeah, part. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it's just the more movement. Like, But if, if Mighty Mouse fought at heavyweight, you know, he might not have been, a, you know, his his body type wouldn't have been, uh, you know, at the the right type to, to fight, you right. know, with, with movement and all that, you know, distance and all right. that. I think that's kind of silly because look at other sports, heavy people can do really well even athletically and when it comes to skills. Like if you look at boxing, a cruiserweight, Alexander Usyk, is right now probably the best boxer in the world. Yeah, so, I, mean, I agree. I agree. I think it sucks because it's heavyweight. Yeah, I mean, great. I mean, I, I, agree, I agree with you there. I mean, Usyk is, is probably the most underrated boxer in the world. I mean, his skills might be better than Lomachenko's. I mean, the way I look at it is, heavyweight doesn't suck because it's heavyweight. Heavyweight sucks because it sucks. And right now, like, there have been no heavyweights. Stipe is the closest, but there have been no heavyweights that I'd say would go down to an actually deep weight class and do really, really well. Right? Like, you could take Cain Velasquez, plug him down into, like, lightweight, and I think he'd lose to a lot of guys. You could do the same with Daniel Cormier. You could do the same with Stipe Miocic. But I think, like, if you were to compare fighters across weight classes... You kind of need to say, um, you know, with everything equalized, with size equalized, who is the most skilled? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the same way. Um, 
it's just a different way of approaching it. I don't think about how they would fight or if they were at a certain weight class. I compare, you know, I compare who, you know, Jose Aldo's striking to, you know, Anthony Pettis' striking. I mean, I guess that's a little easier okay. to compare because they're, you know, they're, they're close in weight. But, I mean, I just yeah. think about who has the overall better skill, not exactly how they would match up against one another because, you know, skill or matchups make fights and everything, you know. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, well, uh, we we rambled on about the the possibility of the heavyweight division for enough. We recapped the UFC Phoenix card and we analyzed and predicted all thirteen fights on the UFC's on ESPN Plus card going down this Saturday afternoon in Prague, Czech Republic. So that has been the fiftieth episode of Martian MMA. I want to thank my guest Streamrom for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, my man. And thank you to every each and every listener who has listened to this episode and to every episode over the past 50 episodes. Uh, you know, it's been a pleasure making uh, every single one of these podcasts, and I look forward to the next 50 before episode 100. So uh, with that being said, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious beings tuning into the podcast, I thank you for tuning in to episode 50 of Martian Mixed Martial Arts, and I will catch you guys next week before UFC 235. Peace.